Hey, you filthy animals and savages. Welcome to the Greg Medford Show. I'm Greg, your host from Phoenix, Arizona. You know, we've started recording the shows so that we can release them on a time and date that is regular and normal to fit your routine. We wanted to fit our show around your potty breaks, so we uh, wanted to make sure the time all uh, uh, meshes in with your life. We have, uh, I, I started 10 years ago doing this. Basically, it was a cathartic way for me to quetch out my political angst and as i've done that um you guys uh decided to support me and my company and like my voice some of you decided to send me death threats and uh, threatened to kill me and my family and i've appreciated you all being here fan and foe alike um as the show has over the last 10 years and millions of views worked its way towards this kind of formal podcast format it's taken on a particularly political note since the 2020 debacle and uh and and you know i i don't want to uh i don't want to sound like one of those crazy uh i don't want to sound like a crazy trumper i am a trumper but i don't sound like a crazy trumper um you know it didn't go the way we planned and and, and things uh Oftentimes, you get the replay camera going, and it starts getting, you get granular down in the weeds, and you find stuff you didn't expect, or you find more than you expected, and that fight's going to happen other places, but part of that has been this rising awakening awakening of so many friends, and uh, supporters, and customers, and, and viewers, and people are wanting to start to talk policy. People are wanting to start, I think the most important thing we can do as Americans is to quit arguing in hyperbole and quit yelling at each other our opinions and actually talk policy because interestingly when you take purple-haired heffalump lesbian lefties and you take right-wing crazy people and you get them away from their crazy little tribes and you start to ask them questions as americans they have a they have a tendency and the, the best way to find out what their truth is is to ask them about their kids and let's say in the case of your purple-haired heffalump lesbian, ask them about their sibling, what they would want for themselves or their sibling. And when you ask them neutral questions on political and sociological philosophy of fairness, we have a tendency to agree an awful lot. It's hard to escape the polarity in which your magma solidified into a rock as a human being. And so uh, I have a tendency to now, I want to talk more about not issues. I want to talk policy. And out of issues, uh, you know, the political class develops policies to hopefully fix an issue. What's broken in our culture right now is our political class, they talk an issue, they count how many people are associated with that issue, and then they want to own the issue, but they don't actually want to fix the problem. So today is a, a unique opportunity, and I love this. As the press has failed, and it's it's I find so many ironies. The the uh, the technology group, the technology oligarchs out of Northern California, have thrust this disrupt. They love disruptor speak. They want to talk about disruptor technology. They want to disrupt the. Uh, shopping, they want to disrupt retail, they want to disrupt energy, they want to disrupt the workplace, they want to disrupt tradition. And I like that. Uh, and what they didn't intend on was that when they disrupted the world with information, they would shatter the traditional news avenue. 
And so we have seen a group of godless, soulless, leftist. They've all, Walter Cronkite was a leftist, quietly. We've seen these leftists come unhinged as their all-powerful voice has been diffused of energy. And now that we all have it, how do we use it? And for me, one of the ways is to have this show and to pull people in that we can talk to and do what George Washington did at Francis Tavern at the Battery in 1775 and 1773, which was meet with patriots and talk about the issues of the day and how to make the world a better place. And that's what this country was all about. It was never about keeping the king in power. He was always about making the world a better place. So in that light, we've pulled in guests and we've pulled in uh, congressmen and we've got senators that have come through. And now we've got uh, a whole new group of um, uh, candidates coming through. And, um, you know, we met for the first time, Sam, and our guest today is Sam Stone. Sam, uh, thanks for coming to the show. Oh, thank you. We'll do a little clap in. <laughs> I just love this, this soundboard. It's kind of fun. I, I, that is fantastic. I love this stuff. Come on. So, um, it's a talk show gaming is basically all it is, right? So, um, tell us a little bit about your background uh, before we get into the politics. And for those of you who are watching um, today, we're going to dive a little bit. I mean, you're going to hear some municipal politics, uh, and you and and these. Interestingly, all politics really is local. So what's great about this, even though this is going to be an Arizona talk and, and principally a Phoenix discussion, because that's where your political focus has been for several years. Yep. These will apply to you if you are in Detroit, if you're in Manassas, if one you're in the, Boston. One of the scary things right now going on around the country, you see all these cities that are crumbling. Yeah. It's the same policy program in every one of right. them. And a lot of it descends from the federal government. And a lot of their requirements and it is just nuts so um this is the stuff i want to talk to you about today I i'm going to dive into uh stuff you see coming down in kind of draconian fashion from above it's yep. creating an overarching problem and then why isn't it happening in other places but it is happening in these places you know you know what's the in inclusionary and exclusionary component that makes it ha be happening in your city or not happening in your city that's the first thing second thing i want to talk about is you know kind of what we can do to stop that um, which I think in many ways is that great relationship with the governor who can kind of be a fucking baller like Ron DeSantis and thumb their nose at the government and say, hey, we're not doing it and sue us. Governors right now are the biggest difference maker in the lives of average Americans. If you're in New York, you're in a nightmare. Yeah. If you're here in Arizona, you're living all right. If you're in Florida, you're living life. I think the, the you know, like, People, I, I, you know, I want to run for office because I love this country so much and I see so many fools at the helm. And I, I read in your bio. Well, you got that right. <laughs> no, I mean, really, I've been working in government and you got that right. Yeah. It's a lot of idiots that we've elected. We, we have the ultimate in mediocrity for a place that really needs excellence. Yeah. Our system is, I, I, years ago, I worked on the civics education initiative out of the Joe Foss Institute here in Arizona. And that was really promoting the civics exam, the same USCIS civics exam that immigrants take for high school students because high school students don't know civics at all anymore. Right, right. And a big part of the reason for that was my belief that our government is not a minivan with an automatic transmission or a self-driving Tesla. 
we are our government was designed to be a high performance sports car and if you screw it up you're going off the road and you're getting hurt and that's where we're at yeah you know it's funny too and i was talking about it in my opening is uh when you when you when you poll lefties, self-identified Marxists, when you ask them about their kids' grades and fairness at school, <laughs> they have a tendency to sound a whole lot like capitalists. <laughs> you know, it, so much of it. I, I think there is an, a, a small percentage of, of true believers. But you mean only, Marxist types? Yeah, absolute yeah. Marxist true believers. No, I think right? it's a bunch of virtue signaling. But the, yeah, that's yeah. it. The rest of it is virtue signaling because they've been told this is how you be virtuous. Right. Instead of being a good person, a good family person, yeah. uh, someone who commits to your community, all the things that have traditionally made for good people yeah. have kind of been thrown out the window in favor of I'm going to run around chanting and screaming uh, about climate change and systemic racism, neither of which is actually an issue the government can or will be able to solve or that exists in the way they claim. Right, 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 right. So um, tell me a little bit. You're, I know you've been here 30 years in Arizona about. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit more than that now. I, Where'd your people come from? Where are you from? Uh, I say New York and everyone thinks glass towers and, and all that, but upstate? I'm from far upstate New Where? York. So we were outside of Lake Placid, New York. Oh, uh, that's, oh my God. I've been up there. That's, that's, uh, that's not what anyone thinks of New York. No, we were an hour from Montreal, Canada mm -hmm. and five and a half hours from New York city. Right. Right. right? I mean, so there was not a two-story building in sight. First time I ever saw frostbite was at Fort Drum in New York up there. So <laughs> it's not the city. No. Uh, and how old were you when you came down here? Uh, so I was 15 when we moved to Arizona. Okay. Uh, and so uh, my folks, this was my father's second attempt at retiring when we when he moved out here. He's really bad at retiring. He's yeah. 93 and he's still not retired. So what's he do? Uh, so now he's pretty much does real estate and and some stock market you know kind of dabbling okay uh but he but he came up in manufacturing okay uh, nuts bolts and airplane parts oh really so, yeah who do you work for uh monogram industries oh very cool yeah very cool. so since been bought up and and chopped up into all sorts of little pieces by hughes and a few others right so um tell me about yourself you did uh, you graduated from high school down here yeah, from actually from Greenfield's uh, Country Day School in Tucson, Arizona. Okay. Oh my God, uh, you grew up in Tucson. Yeah, no, it was so that was a that was a learning experience for me. You know, <laughs> okay. Tucson is is nuts, right? It's also totally dysfunctional, right? And so you, you're. I usually describe that as a shithole. That's the way I. Kind uh, of... I mean, that's exactly. I try to be careful now because I got a real potty mouth and I'm running I know. for office, and so I'm probably like... going to run for governor. And I just said that. So right you know now, I, look, they they they're going to have to bleep me a lot. What I'm most afraid of is like debates in a church, because <laughs> <laughs> I, I get a little fiery about some of this stuff sometimes. But anyway, graduated there. Uh, went off to college, went to U of A for a year, went up to Lewis and Clark in Portland, Oregon. So I have been in the middle of left. Oh, well, Bell. you've been in the belly of the beast. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of times when I talk with conservatives and they hear me start talking like, oh, shit, is this guy a liberal in sheep's clothes? Because um, I or a, a liberal in wolves, wolves clothing, um, I, I grew up here until high school, then went to Massachusetts. For high school and university right and then pennsylvania and connecticut so i've been in the belly of the beast and i've heard the lefty argument and it's why when i meet lefties i generally i know their argument a hundred yeah, times better than i do right and i know why it's wrong because i've you know kind of seen the light no absolutely so so let me ask you you graduated from high school down here you went to a year of school here and then up to uh, lewis, and, lewis clark. and clark yep 
Um, and, and I just saw a thing about Lewis and Clark. Isn't it like off the hook crazy lefty? They've got well, some crazy policies. So, it, yeah, they have gone completely nuts. Yeah. Um, when I was there, Reed College, which is is also in, in Portland, was the further lefty, was the crazy, crazy lefties. And Lewis and Clark was left, but it wasn't insane. You now know, it's I mean, insane. Now it's insane. I yeah. mean, I had teachers there who were Republicans. They didn't make a big deal out of it. Right. You know, they weren't they weren't running around touting it. But, right. They didn't put a bumper sticker on their but car. Now, but now yeah. they've been driven out. Right. I mean, you know, they they have really purged. I was any, just reading sort of... about one of the science professors up there who had said something, and they and he'd been he and his wife both talked to uh, campus, and they'd been there for I don't know twenty years or something, and they ran them off the campus. Yeah. No, that's exactly what that's exactly what's going on. And, you know, I think actually that's at Portland State that you're referring to. Um, but there's been a couple of incidents like that. It might have been Lewis and Clark, too. I haven't paid that close attention to my, to my alma mater. But, um, you know, they've they've gotten this idea that you can't speak a different truth or you can't contest their ideas. And look. There's a reason the Soviets had to keep one third of the population spying on the other two thirds, because when you stifle dissent in that way, you know, you're not actually stifling dissent. No, you're just you're you're just hiding you're it under the covers. People. You're oppressing people yeah. and it's going to come back to bite you. You know, it's funny. Um, I am so not threatened by lefties coming at me. Oh, God, no. And, and the reason why, and I, I talk with people about this all the time, anybody who is threatened by an opposing viewpoint doesn't understand their own viewpoint. Right. If you have a viewpoint that you're willing to put a vagina hat on and scream and, and go down with a bunch of people and march around and probably ruin your relationships, and you're, if you're willing to be that kind of person... Uh, if I, you have that going on, they, they generally don't really know their arguments. I, I, look, I have someone I still consider a good friend who is a dedicated communist, but they have no bloody idea what communism is. Right. You know, I mean, their their vision is utopian and totally unrealistic. And so when I, you know, you have to be a little careful if you want to maintain those friendships at all. Yeah. But, you know, look, I can chop her arguments up in 10 seconds any day. It just. It, because I know them, I just like to ask them questions and watch their eyes get. And they get oh no, mad they, and, they can't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I, I'll tell you a little story from the city of Phoenix, and and for to get rid to, to run really fast through the rest of the bio. So I was in advertising and marketing. I did that, bounced around. I actually worked for a couple of different auto dealer groups doing advertising and marketing. I Here mean, in town? Uh, all over the country, actually. Okay. Lithia Auto Group up in Colorado okay. and the Northwest and that sort of thing, and a few others, and um. So I moved back to Tucson and it was looking for a job and I called Jim Click, who I know a little bit, and I said, hey, you know, here's what I you know, do now. Do you have any opportunities? He said, yeah, come down, meet me, blah, blah, blah. Turned me into a car salesman. I was the world's worst car salesman. I'm a terrible car salesman because I will sit there and look at your credit report and go, I don't know if you can really afford this. I, mean, <laughs> I, I think this is not a very good decision for you. And a good car sales guy just wraps it up and throws it at no, finances. Yeah, look, all these people would go running down the street and buy a car from someone else and then come back and tell their manager that your guy wouldn't sell me a car. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, enjoy your repo. Right, right. You know, um, but so I did that for a little while and then uh, built my own little advertising and marketing business, 08, 09 hit crash hit that business disappeared overnight i mean it was all local advertising mm -hmm. and that was the first thing everyone cut uh and right in the middle of that a good friend of mine called up and said hey i'm running for city council i want you to run my campaign and i literally laughed at him hung up and threw the phone on the Is floor that Val? 
No, that was actually a guy named Sean McCluskey in Tucson. Okay. Uh, who's a very good guy. But, um, you know, it was one of those, like, he's an unknown, blah, blah, blah. Did he get elected? He came really close in a heavily Democrat ward-only vote. Um, so so it was a, it was swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. But, but you liked it. But I liked it. I found a calling, if you will, trying to, to actually make things a little bit better. I don't think. And when did you make the move up to Phoenix? Uh, a couple of years later, took okay. me a few years. I bounced around in 2012. I was the state director for Freedom Works here in Arizona, so I was kind of all over the state that year. Uh, 2013, I actually was working in Oklahoma with the state superintendent of public instruction there, and then 2014 came back here and have been here since. Okay, um, so your people are from upstate New York. Yep. And uh, let me see, so, what what is Stone? Is that Italian? I mean, is it a Polish. is it chopped? It's Polish. Polish, yeah. It got chopped. Yeah, you're it got a Polak. Cho- yeah, we got chopped into Stanisky little itty bitty whatever, pieces. Yeah, yeah okay. no. So, so we we are uh, Polish Jews whose family fled here from the fled the pogroms. Okay. Uh, in the 1910s, basically, okay. and so uh, they all came here, and in, it originally went kind of scattered all over, uh, but St. Louis kind of became the family base. Okay. And uh, then the depression hit. Great Depression, yeah. And my my grandfather at that time had an auto repair business that mm-hmm. went totally under. Yeah, uh, fixed up a, an old Packard, put the whole family in it, drove out to California because there was was work on the docks and the fields and that sure. kind of thing. Uh, he does have a claim to fame. He was one of two people, only two, that they hired. If you remember the famous train yard scene from Gone with the Wind, uh, with the thousands of actors who are all was he in there taped and bandaged? No, he taped and bandaged. All those people. Oh, that's funny. Uh, and so it took like four days of the shoot, and they had them <laughs> sleeping there to get dirty, right? So that they would look like authentic. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Crazy. Uh, but, but he and one other guy who were were Navy corpsmen were the were the two hired to do all of that. They were the main master tapers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So uh, now, talk to me a little bit. How'd you get uh, hooked up to Phoenix City Council? So I've known Sal DeCicio for a number of years. Uh, he and I share very, very similar views. And and for folks out there across the country, you're probably not familiar with Sal, but I call him really the last big city conservative in the country. If you look at the country's 10 largest cities, mm-hmm. he is really the only conservative firebrand uh, in office in any of those cities. And I've watched him hold back the tide for almost 20 years now. Uh, and so... So the city council, how many people are on the city council? So eight council members plus the mayor. And the and uh, the does the mayor have any voting rights? Is, does he break tie votes? Yeah, no, the mayor has a vote on everything. Okay. So a, it's a 5-4, you know, 5 So it's a nine set up mayors yeah. in one. Okay, and then the eight, um, the eight city council people, how many of those are conservatives? Um, well, what you or, have... Or let me say Republicans. Yeah, okay, I was actually going to define that. So we have yeah. three Republicans out of the eight council seats. And the mayor obviously is a very, very liberal Democrat. This is um, such a weird state. Um, how do we have? And my friends from around the United States have been, you know, just harassing me for the last year. How how has this state gone so red? I don't get it. How has it gone so red? I mean, uh, so I mean, uh, or gone so blue? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, no. So I think it's a couple of things. One, you've got a lot of people. We're a little bit different than some of the other states that people are moving to right now, right? Um, you have a lot of people moving from California, from Illinois here, and they're not abandoning their politics or they're not moving because they're Republican. They're moving because their tech company got relocated here. Their job got relocated here. So it's one thing if you have someone who's like, 
I can't take Gavin Newsom anymore. You know, this crazy uh, mayor we got in Chicago, uh, Lori Lightfoot, I can't, I can't deal. I'm out. I need a Republican. They're not political refugees. Right. These are people who go and their boss comes to them and goes, hey, we're moving the company to Phoenix. You want to keep your job, you got to move. And they're happy to get the lower house prices. They're happy to have the less traffic, but they don't equate all of these things that make the quality of life here in Phoenix livable. They don't equate them with policy and they are direct results. The traffic jams, the the locked uh, lockup in New York and LA yeah. is a result of a policy called Vision Zero. The crime wave, obviously, as I you probably talked about a bunch on your program, but you know, this is a result of catch and release policies for criminals. Right. Um, so there's everything that's going on. The the panhandling that you see now that's getting really aggressive. Yeah is a result of a policy that has been adopted in virtually every city across the country of simply not enforcing the law on homeless people. So well, let me ask you a question. So let's talk about that. Um, let's just rip through some issues that are kind of driving everyone crazy. Um, I, down the I-17 corridor, which the factory's on, mm -hmm. I see the uh, it's the fentanyl alley of these zombies. So th this is actually the number one highway corridor for smuggling in the entire country. Uh, because Arizona is the biggest on the, corridor we're around the, the border. border. It comes from the border and right. it makes its way to yeah, America. This is actually Chinese fentanyl uh, that is, is shipped by ships. I mean, huge amounts to factories, cartel-run factories in Mexico that turn it into pills and, and are adulterating all sorts of other drugs with it. Uh, and they're bringing it up here. And look, they, they have a, a hundred to one profit margin. So we can seize 50 out of every hundred shipments and they still have the most profitable business in the world. So what policy is it? It's all these different cities. And what is it about the municipal? What is there some pressure from the federal government for this non-enforcement of laws yeah huge or is it pressure. or is it a bunch of the national mayor's conference gets together and they decide all to do that i mean what what's it's because even because the democrat mayor still tries to get reelected here and we see this and we're pretty it's a pretty conservative yeah. state we're like enough with this bullshit well, why is it well look if you if you it. watch the the democrat mayors here when they're campaigning they sound like republicans uh -huh. and then they they obviously don't govern that way Right. They're governing very left. They're doing what all these other people are doing. The difference I always tell people between Phoenix and L.A. or any of these other cities that have gone totally downhill is two votes and one voice. You have Sal DeCicio and a guy named Jim Waring is the other conservative council member. I love Jim. His voting record's probably even better than Sal's. But the difference is he'll lose 7-2 on an issue and not say a word. Right. He'll vote right, but he doesn't fight. Sal will come out and throw a public fit. And that's what you have to do. I know people don't love it. They don't love that type of confrontational politics all the time. But if you listen, and they've asked them, I think in every election cycle, they ask all the Democrats at City Hall, who's your favorite Republican or what type of Republican do you want to see elected? And they go, oh, we want someone like Jim Waring. Who doesn't punch him back in the nose. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, as long as you can win every time and no one ever challenges you, of course you want that. You can always say, well, you know, we 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 work with the other side. It's garbage. It's garbage. But these policies, a lot of it comes down from the federal government. You have a Supreme Court ruling that we can't make panhandling illegal. You have a Supreme Court ruling that unless you have a housing... So it's not really from the feds. It's from the high court. 
It's a combination. The okay. feds are taking what the high court has done and making it into a nightmare for cities to, to actually deal with. So let me ask, what ha what happens if we have a baller mayor who just says, hey, listen, we're not putting up with that in our city because it's not being put up with everywhere. No. And so there are ways to do it. Honestly, that's the difference is so all these Democrats have just decided we're not going to enforce the law where uh, where homeless people are involved because they really don't want to anyway. No, they don't want to. And actually, there was a great explanation of this in California that it's basically the population's been divided into two bags. There's a bag without money and there's the bag with money. Mm -hmm. And they are brutal and extensive enforcing the law on the people with money because they are extracting money from them. Right. It's a fine and fee based system. The people who don't have any money, they're not bothering with because it's just a loss of time, right? And when, when Donald Trump talked about the deep state, one of my issues with Trump was he wasn't always really good at explaining a lot of stuff. He, right. gave, you, he gave you a lot of words salad. Great on policy, bad on message. Yeah, no, he's terrible at it. And, and he didn't explain stuff well. And as a result, they took his word salad and they chopped it into little pieces, right? And so that happens over and over and over again and that is one of the big reasons republicans are not competitive in these things is we don't fight back and we don't explain it well enough when we do and so the the fight back here they don't want to enforce the law on these folks why well because they don't get any money out of it donald trump described it as the deep state the deep state it goes, extends way beyond dc and it's far more pervasive and maybe less nefarious than that sounds it's the bureaucracy. It's an entrenched bureaucracy, and it's the same everywhere. Well, it's a so so the the their the, goal is is to expand the the municipality. It seems like, uh, and my dealing is really through the Phoenix Airport system because right. I was dealing with the airports, at, uh, the airport authority at Deer Valley Airport with with my uh, pastimes and business. Um, it they've only got a couple of revenue funds, right? They've got a couple of revenue streams. You've right. got the airport system. The parks. Well, so uh, the, the airport and parks aren't revenue streams for us. They're so an expense item, They're right? an expense item, yeah. Except for Sky Harbor. Uh, well, so no, yes and no. So we don't spend anything on them. They are an enterprise. Our airports, and they're all under one. So Sky Harbor basically owns Deer Valley yeah, Airport and yeah, all these others. Yeah. Um, we are not allowed by federal law to extract money from them. Now, my estimate is that the airports collectively make 500, maybe a billion, 500 million, maybe a billion dollars a year, and that money disappears. So where is it going? It's really simple. They are handing it out to their friends and coworkers, you know, huge administ bloated administration, all these sorts of things. Um, they are giving away contracts that are totally non-competitive. They just, for instance, redid the contract for maintenance of the SkyTrain, you know, that runs you between the terminals at Sky Harbor, right? And th that contract was signed originally 10 years ago. They just renewed it for another 10 with uh, two more options. So up to another 30 years. And the price quadrupled without a bid. So there was a bid initially, right? You get this company in. Now they say, oh, they're the only ones that can do it because they've been doing it. And now we're going to quadruple the price that we're paying them. So that's way beyond inflation, folks. I mean, you know, way beyond, even over 10 years. And each 10 years, they're allowed to double again. So all the money that that airport is generating is getting sucked up in these insider deals. So, uh so uh, the municipality, probably like many municipalities, it doesn't have many enterprise funds. Water services are an enterprise fund, uh, and and your garbage service is an enterprise fund. Public works, mm -hmm. that's pretty much it. And then and and then other than that, all the money they spend is tax based. Right. Okay.
And and so talk to me again, what are cities doing to push back against this, uh, maybe this Washington downfeed? Like we have a Democrat mayor right now, right? Yeah, Kate Gallego, a very, very progressive Democrat. I mean, how does that happen in this state? How does that happen in this town? Is it Hispanic voting? Is it what? What is it? Well, so hilariously, in her case, she's actually a white girl who was ex-husband was was Congressman Ruben Gallego. Uh, her her maiden name's Whitland. Okay. Um, and about thirty percent of the people that voted for her, we did we did some polling afterwards. They just thought 30, she was a yeah, Mexican thought, gal. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, but but more than that, the local paper, which is the only source of news at City Hall, right? Like nobody else is there. They don't have a reporter there. They don't cover it. They don't know what's going on. Only the paper. And obviously they're very lefty and they love Kate Gallego. Young woman, woman power. It's a woman driven uh, newspaper with their senior, you know, senior editors and so forth. And so they slobber all over this woman. Well, she's freaking incompetent. I mean, she is terrible at her job. It's not even a question. But they slobber all over, and that's how you end up with it, because then nobody's paying attention. Nobody knows what's going on in your local city government. Right. What do you think your government did last week or last month? It did something. Nobody knows what that is or was. Right. And um, and, and then we, of course, we've got a single paper in this town now, and it's called the Arizona Republican, I think, right? Yeah, Arizona Republic. Um, the Arizona Republic, that's right. And, I, I, and it's the furthest thing from a conservative paper. Yeah, I, I, are we allowed to, to drop uh, curses on this program? Yeah, yeah fuck okay. yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, I call it, so their their website is AZ Central, and I call it AZ Shithole. Yeah. Um, because it's just garbage. I mean, they are, they spin everything. They don't report news that's unfavorable to the other side. They Everything they do is designed, and frankly, the one reporter that, for instance, they have at City Hall part-time, Right. She's got like three other beats that she covers. Um, look, she's a young kid. She doesn't know anything. And her only contact in City Hall is in Kate Gallego's office. So they basically give her press releases and they print them. Hmm. And and uh, this is probably going on in cities all over this the country. Is every the same city. kind of thing. This is every city. And this is kind of one of the things about the degradation of the news business. So uh, the AZ, AZ Central, the Arizona Republic, used to have two and a half full-time reporters assigned to Phoenix City Hall. So they had two plus a, you know, part-time string or whatever. Right. Now we have one person who's on three other beats. What do they know? They don't know anything. Plus they're a kid who's got, you know, a couple of years of experience in the field. They covered Glendale. Right. Which they, ha is they haven't made enough money to get their senses yet. No, no. Because, you know, you're supposed to be a liberal when you're young. And when you yeah, get some money, you're supposed course. to Look, turn conservative, right? When you get a little bit older, you, you know, you've had a couple of kids. You're trying to, you know, work out that mortgage before the kids go off to college. Yeah, yeah. Then all of a sudden things change. Yeah. You start paying more attention. Yeah, a little bit. So, um, you know, I see... Um, a couple of things, and I'm I'm just wondering. So so basically, we're a microcosm of exactly what's going on in Washington D.C. Yep. We have a uh, monolithic lefty press that's giving complete coverage and flowers for lefties who are incompetent, yep. who are failing at the running of our municipality, and and are failing across the country. And yet, you don't see these newspapers taking them to task. Which... Right. If you just do the statistics on Democrat versus Republican-led cities in this nation, the, oh, uh, the, the outcomes are st stark. Well, and it's the outcomes on issues that liberals claim they care about most. Right. So if you want to see the 10 cities with the 10 highest in, uh, levels of income inequality in the country, they're all big blue cities. 
uh, the 10 cities that have the greatest poverty, highest poverty levels, all big blue cities. The cities that are doing okay are the ones where actually for most of them, like Phoenix, Boston, a few others, they have a left lean, a heavy left lean, but there's been Republicans and conservatives there who have fought the fight. All these other cities, the commonality is there are no Republicans left in office, which means the only way to hold on to your seat is to go further and further left. If you're a Democrat in one of those, you've got to be further left because if you're not, someone's going to come attack you from the left in the primary. The primary uh, city elections are generally offset, so they're not at the same time as all the rest. Right. So it's a really small vote. And their activist base can, you know, ensure that whoever's furthest left is the nominee. And, and, and so have you uh, taken a look at or, or a study or a read at what's happened in Seattle? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then there's a great piece called Seattle is Dying by KOMO up there that I really encourage everyone just go on YouTube, watch it. It seems like that's the way all of these cities go. Uh, and Seattle is, and, and I'm afraid of Phoenix going the same way. It, Phoenix is really trying hard to go the same way. And frankly, the, you know, the holdback has been south. So there's a couple of things. If you look at the homelessness, they've just completely stopped enforcing the law on homelessness in Seattle. They don't enforce drug laws. They don't enforce vagrancy. They don't enforce blight. They don't enforce vandalism, any of that stuff on any of the homeless. You can still do that. And it's not illegal to enforce the law, Right. But these cities have just said, oh, out of some sort of misguided sense of fairness, we're going to just stop enforcing the law because, oh, they're oppressed. No, they're not oppressed. What they are is drunk drug users who have a huge rate of mental illness. And the, the places around the world, and there are, that do this right, require mandatory treatment. And that's the route to deal with it. But that's actually banned by the federal government. I can't take someone and force them into treatment. But what you can do. If you're smart, what you can do is you get nasty on enforcing the law. You throw the book at them every single time, and then you offer diversion and treatment. Right. And so your way, option is yeah. awful jail or treatment. Yeah. 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 Look, I, I will wipe your record clean, but go through the treatment program right. or go to jail for as long as I can possibly throw you there because otherwise you're, a, you're harming the quality of life for the rest of our yeah, residents. For sure. And liberals have gotten the idea that homeless people have a right to harm the quality of life of other people because they're homeless, and that's bullcrap. Yeah. Okay, it's bullcrap. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, talk to me a little bit about what, what say does the city of Phoenix have in, for instance, the school system? None. So you have none. That's some, the school boards. Yeah, some, some are different. States have different setups. But for us uh, in Arizona, schools are essentially a lot like Native American tribes. They control everything. Right. If they want to go ahead and build a new school and not even apply for any kind of building permits or licensing or anything, they can do it. I mean, yeah, no. And so they completely ignore a lot of what would be the requirements, like grading and drainage studies and traffic studies and this stuff, which, by the way, if you wonder why there's a giant tie up around your local school every morning and afternoon, that's the cause. Because they didn't do any mitigation or any planning for the traffic nightmares, right? Yeah, I live up in Cave Creek, and it must be the same thing. Because all I it's know everywhere. is that there's this one little skinny road going, yeah. in, and there's four thousand cars no, all converging I mean, in five minutes. If that was any kind of business, you could never get away with no, that. No, never get away with that. We would require them to pay to expand the roadway. I mean, that's the law, right? Like, if you <laughs> if you go and expand your business into an area, and now all of a sudden I need a traffic light, and I need another lane on the road, and I need all this other stuff, you got to pay for it. Hey, I got a question for you. This is a complete sidebar since you're mentioning it. 
how do I get my road finished out in front? Who do I call about that? We have a whole section of road. It's a two-lane road, and it goes to one lane because it's abutting a lot that hasn't been developed. Right. And and then it goes back to two lanes. So there's almost car accidents every day out here. So what you want to start with is your representative, which I think would be Ann O'Brien up here. Okay. Um, and she's she is a Republican, but not a conservative. Okay. Um, but she's good on this stuff. She's good on the police stuff. And I'm, I mean, I'm happy to put you in touch with her, but start with her. And then the streets department, a lot of this stuff, people don't realize, look, Phoenix is huge. I yeah. mean, we're the fifth largest city in the country by population, but by size, we're the biggest 524 square miles in the so city. So you just got to kind of let them alone. know and be there. Yeah. Of... Look, if they, if they don't, if, if no one brings it up and like starts agitating, they're not going to bother with it because they got 80 million other things on the plate. Okay. All right. So a little bit of the squeaky wheel. Oh, you got to be the squeaky wheel. I tell people all the time. It's actually how I got to know Carrie Lake because Carrie Lake is the squeakiest wheel in a good way. I love it. She would call our office. She was in our district. She would call our office all the time and go, hey, there's a pothole here. There's a leak, water leak over there, blah, 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 which is what we need. We actually need people to do that because we don't have a system that would otherwise start reporting that stuff. So let me ask you a question. I love this because, you know, you're you're like you get to know what's the machinations that actually go on behind the scene oh, yeah. here in town. And I'm, I'm always like, you know, I, you remember Carl Newman? Is he still around? He is. Yep. Uh, he used to be the city of Phoenix airports director or yep. something. Yeah. Um, I am. Mean, he's not there in that role anymore, but I know who he is and he's, yeah, it was funny. Um, I was kind of leading a revolt at Deer Valley airport because they, the rates were going up there way outside of inflation. And I led this group of guys and we all, you know, got a, a meeting with, uh, I don't know, I forget who the vice mayor was at the time. It was him and, uh, and Carl Newman. And we sat down, you know, and I was like the voice of the rebellion and everybody was with me. And I'm sitting, I was like, why are our rates going up like this? Why this? Why that? Why this? And he said, well, let me show you. And he, he just wrote it all out for us. And we all were kind of like, oh, I said, okay, guys, that's why the rent's going up. We were all like, oh, we just called like, we, we walked out all disgruntled, but we were like, okay, I guess I see why the rates are going up. Yeah, no, look, they, there's. There is so much that goes on behind the scenes that people have no idea about. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, one of the things I had a guy, uh, so our district, uh, and, and to finish, I've been the last five and a half years the chief of staff for Salva CCO. Okay. Um, so, and who are you running against? So I'm running against one Republican and like 17 Democrats. I don't know. There's so many of them in the field. I can't even count them but anymore. But so whose seat? So there are eight there and you're yep. not running for either of the Republicans. No, seats. so Sal is termed out. So I'm running for his seat. Uh, so he he has been in for three full terms. This is the the last year he can serve. Um, so I am running essentially to try to maintain the status the current status quo. I would love to be able to say I can move the ball forward, but I know darn well that if I win, I'm two I'm one of two conservatives and three Republicans on a nine member voting body. Right. Right. So but, you're just going to be the vocal voice of yeah, opposition. Yeah, look, you need someone to take Sal's role that screams bloody murder and doesn't care if they get the death threats like you've gotten, which I've gotten, um, and doesn't care if they get called a racist, which I get called every day. I know I do, too. And I don't even I, I just don't care anymore. It's, yeah. They're they're wacky. They're ridiculous. So you have to fight. Um, and man, it is so frustrating to hear about this in my hometown because, you know, I don't get the, I don't get the lay of this. This obviously doesn't make the news. It's not no, national it, news. Well, no, nobody but does. It affects us. It's so frustrating. It's like, um, the left has beaten us at the ground game at the school board and the municipality level. And we're all focused on like the world series, the right. presidency. 
And we missed that there's, you know, 135 games on the way to the series, you know? Well, that's actually kind of part of the deep state problem. So one of the things you have, and, and actually if you go back to when government unions were first being proposed, the, the head of the AFL-CIO at that time was totally against government unionization. And the reason was really simple, and he understood in a way that, that people now kind of try to ignore. When you have a huge body of government workers here in Phoenix, we have like 30,000 people who work for the government and you hold an off cycle election that maybe only 60,000 votes are cast in the union members, the union members control it. Right. And so they've set up a system that is not for the people. It's for the government. And constantly the focus is on increasing the bureaucracy, increasing the size of all the programs. Right. And frankly, like, so take the homelessness thing, right? If we enforce the law on that, what does that do? Well, we, we're going to get a few more cops maybe because we need them to help enforce the law, right? But opposed to that is a massive bureaucracy that spends millions and millions of dollars a year in the homeless services industry that employs huge numbers of people in the city of Phoenix and their friends and all these things. So where do they want to put the money? They want to put it in there. And their results are nil. They achieve nothing with it. They want to do homeless homelessness servicing. They don't want to yeah, eradicate no, no, homelessness. No, what they're doing is enabling homelessness. Right. I mean, if you're down on the campus, we call it CAS here, uh, Central Arizona Shelter Services. You're down on Jefferson Street. You, you go by there. It looks like a war zone. I mean, it looks like you're in Somalia. It is horrific. And But what they do is you can get three hot meals a day there. They have a locker, a shower, a place to put their you know stuff and secure it, a place to charge their phone. They all have cell phones. Um, you get your three meals a day. Then you get your food stamps. Then you get your government assistance. And you go panhandle, 15 to $20 an hour is an average take from panhandling. A good intersection can be double or triple that. So that's a lot of money. And what you find is these people are choosing to become chronic street homeless because they can drink and do drugs and, you know, to their heart's content and they're taken care of. We had a program with, with the pandemic where we bought a hotel and offered this up to a lot of our, a lot of the folks living on the street here. Hey, you can move into this hotel. The only requirement is not that you be sober. It's that you not do drugs in your room. I mean, you know, that's it. Right. And actually you can even smoke pot because that's legal here in Arizona. I'm talking about the hard drugs. Right. We couldn't fill it. We had to turn it over to a veteran shelter. Then we could fill it. But they don't want off the street. You know, the Republic did like a four-part series on this one woman who's like the queen of the campus, right? And they're talking, like the whole focus of the piece is how the system failed her, except you get to the fourth segment and the author, like, you can't avoid the conclusion. This woman had a chance to move in with family. She had a chance to move into a housing program. She had a chance for the, all these things. And she ignored them all and didn't take any of those opportunities. Why? Because she's an alcoholic. And she spends her day getting drunk. And she likes being the queen of the campus. So... So we've built a culture. We built a culture. It's almost like a Grateful Dead little hippie convoy that doesn't go anywhere. Oh, that's exactly what it is. And and it's interesting that these things sort of exploded in cities right about the same time. All the time. same time. Yeah. Right about the same time the Grateful Dead and, and Fish stopped touring. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So you want to get elected into office and be someone basically leaning against what sounds like inevitability. It's not inevitability. It's not because when you actually go out and fight these things, 
So, for instance, one of the big fights, and it's coming back, but one of the big fights we had a couple of years ago was around Vision Zero, which is a national and international program to cut down traffic deaths, all traffic deaths to zero. Um, which sounds great, right? Like, who doesn't? No, want it to, sounds awful. Who doesn't want to eliminate traffic deaths? But. What it actually does, if you go on the Vision Zero website and you read it, you realize it's not anything about traffic deaths. They're just using those as an actual, I mean, literally using them as a tool because they want to drive people out of cars. It's an environmental movement thing where they, they call it now, they call themselves urbanists, right? Right. And they actually have schools of urbanism now at our colleges, and it's just garbage. It's about as useful as these, you know, degrees in. Pan women's studies yeah take your pick right, right. I, I mean any of the anything that ends with studies is yeah probably a bad Horseshit. idea yeah Horseshit. oh look you're throwing away your money you're throwing away yeah. your family's money stop doing it well worse than that they're not throwing away their family's money uh we're underwriting it it'll right. be the next bubble they're they're getting money That's exactly right. they're getting government subsidized money lent to them because nobody in their goddamn right mind would give them yeah. that money so including their mom and dad yep so anyway just to, to get back to the story though Vision Zero cuts down traffic lanes, replaces them with bike lanes. It focuses on light rail and, and bus rapid transit and all this stuff. And it's designed to make it impossible to drive. And they've done it. So if you look at Boston, New York, Chicago, a bunch of these big cities, L.A., L.A. is the best example. Ten years ago, it was trafficy, It was miserable. But you could get around. I mean, it wasn't gridlocked death. But that's what they have now. And it's a direct and deliberate result of Vision Zero. When the mayor was elected, her first plan, and she's really dictatorial by nature. She is really totalitarian. She hates she hates debate. She hates discussion. Uh, and she hates opposing views. She came out and said, we're going to pay us Vision Zero. My first thing, like a week after she's in office, she gives nobody any time to look at this stuff. We're just going to have a vote on it. You're talking about L.A.? What LA has done coming to Phoenix. Oh, our, right our, here. our mayor's doing our it. mayor here. She got elected a couple of years ago. First week in office, she throws this giant program out. This is the kind of thing that normally you're going to study for a lengthy period of time. Ignores all that. Especially in a city that has got a college at ASU yeah. around urban planning. And, I, yeah. uh, and a lot of places over the last 50 years have kind of looked to, because Phoenix deals with the growth quotient that yep. most places don't. This has been a place of urban planning and city it, planning and suburban planning more than almost anywhere in the country. Yeah, really more it, than anywhere in the country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you can go to Houston, they have no planning. Right. Or you can go to L.A. and they just don't do anything anymore. L.A., San Francisco, they just say no to everything now. Right. But they do these programs. When, they, when, when, when this came up, I immediately got on the phone. I called the truckers. I called the cab drivers. I called the, their unions, right? I'm talking to everyone who uses the streets and South screaming up and down, bringing the public on board. So council meeting comes around a few days later, they're trying to pass this thing. And, you know, they planned on having their 20, 20 pre-planned people come to the mic. And so you guys load the deck up. We load the deck are... up instead with people who are like, you are crazy. And the mayor's there for this. The mayor's there for yeah. this. And all of a sudden the vote backs down and, you know, that loses like seven to, you know, because the mayor won't support at that point because there's obvious opposition to the whole thing. And it, it goes so away. So the mayor won't support her own program she was right. pushing. Yeah. But but she's going to push it again. Right. But she's trying something she's else. She's bringing it back under a different name. So, um, okay. Uh, are, I guess there's a couple of things. Uh, 
One is you obviously feel like you got a shot at this because you've been there. You kind of know the landscape. You know where a lot of the bodies are buried in cells. Probably going to support you. You're on his staff. Yeah, he is, he and is he wants very to supportive. Transition you in. Yep. What do we do? How do we get? Um, I mean, it's great having vocal opposition. Yeah. How do we get majority? You know what? That's actually really, really simple. And it's actually really easy at the moment. It might get hard if we start doing it, but at the moment, it would be very simple to take over every city in this country. And here's how. Get to the bottom of your damn ballot. Don't stop after the first three lines on your ballot. That's what's happening. You have basically the unions control it because no one votes that far down or you hold a special election that's in an off year and date and the general public, particularly Republicans, doesn't pay attention. Yeah. And so, you know, you had, for instance, a city councilwoman here, Yasmin Ansari, who's never lived in the city of Phoenix in her life. She was a Scottsdale rich kid who went off to Stanford, interned oh. for Nancy Pelosi. Oh, I just threw up and, inside. Yeah, no. And then became a junior staffer for the UN climate program. And she gets brought back here. The mayor's all over her. They, they raise her a million four for races that like 10 years, like six years ago, cost like 300 grand. They raise her a million four, all from out of state, all from D.C. and New York. And she wins. You know how many votes she got? 7,400 and change. It, our, our districts, by the way, each of our districts is double the size of Pete Buttigieg City. South Bend, Indiana is about 100,000. Each of our districts is a little over 200,000. So in a, in a place where there's 200,000 people, where there's 120,000 registered voters. She got one with 7,000 She votes. won with 7,000. So you votes. have malaise and disengagement. That's exactly it. All right. If we engage, we win. And on, you can turn every city around in the country in four years. How do we engage? Start paying attention. Because I feel like it's the most important discussion because you are what I would say you have your finger in the dike right now. As best I can. I, I don't have many fingers left and I'm using toes at this point. No, I mean, you guys, guys that are holding the line that are being vocal are fingers in the dike. Right. And fingers in the dike is not a winning proposition. No, I, I need it's a new It's a stem dam. the tide yep. proposition. But how do we stop the tide? And the tide is engagement. We have to get more Arizonans, especially conservatives. And you don't even have to get that many of them. No. She won with 7,000. She didn't win by 7,000. No, she didn't win by 7,000. She, won, she with, won with, with 7,000. 7, which means there might have been 5,200 conservative right. votes. Yeah, they were, they were a total cast in that race of less than 15,000 votes. So really, all you have to do is persuade 1,000 people that are conservative to vote. That's it. If if everyone who's out of two hundred, if 000. everyone's who's a conservative in the city of Phoenix votes in city of Phoenix elections, and we have an oddball, right? Our primary is in November of twenty two, next primary, and it's a jungle primary, top two, you know, runoff primary. So one person gets fifty percent plus one, it's over. That's not likely to happen. You go to a March of twenty three runoff. That's how they control it. No one's paying attention to an election in March of twenty three. Uh, who determines when that cycle is? Why isn't it on the national city cycle? City of Phoenix determines it. All these cities determine their own elections. And so you can do some so things. So they're using voter suppression. That's exactly what they're doing. So the left uh, in Arizona is doing off-cycle so that only zealots are voting. Absolutely. And they're suppressing the regular voters' will. Absolutely they are. And not just here in Arizona, but in your city too. Wherever you are listening right now, they're doing this in your city also. And they're counting on people, A, not to get to the bottom of their ballot. So in, in November 22, when you go out there, they're counting on about 
60%, I think, of people will not finish their ballots. They will, they will do the first few races, and then they'll stop. So for that 60% of the people, may, maybe some are in, in listening to us right now, and I'm not. I always run all the way down. And when I don't so do know, I. I vote Republican. Like, right. If I don't know this, I'm like, well, I'm voting Republican you know, for sure. Here in but Arizona, it doesn't even mean I'm getting a conservative. Now, just... here in Arizona, we, we elect judges, too. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much just vote no on all of them unless I know who they are yeah. because I don't have any idea. Right. right? So let's let's just go throw them out and try someone else. I I mean, but you have to get to the bottom of your ballot and you have to pay attention to these special elections and you have to vote in them. And if you do that, you will change every city in this country in the next four years. It doesn't take much. No. Um, but we're all busy running businesses and yeah. we're, we're all busy uh, raising yeah. kids and family. While and you're that. cutting a $250 check to the presidential candidate in 2024, yeah. you're not sending 50 bucks to that local guy or so, gal. And so so money helps. Money helps. Okay. Democrats, like I said, she brought in a million four, and none of it was basically from here in Arizona. It was all from the coast. Democrats have figured out. Well, I've heard crazy stuff. They made basically Arizona almost a proxy state for California mm -hmm. now because I heard we had uh, our, our polls here were being manned by uh, people bust in from California. There were Democrats basically manning the polls yeah. during the the general election in, in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, look, they, we are the next target in the blueprint. So if people remember back in 2004, um, Democrats created something they call the blueprint in Colorado. And the idea was they would start, start taking the money from these competitive primaries they were holding in the big blue coastal cities. They were spending a lot of money fighting each other and they just stopped. They said, we're going to take that money. You guys have your fight. But there's not going to be a lot of money for you. We're, we're going to get our guy either way, guy or gal, right? Um, and they started pouring that into Colorado. And at that time, Colorado had a Republican governor. They had one of two Republican It was one of the senators. great Western states. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And now it's dead blue. Why? Because a state like Colorado cannot match the money that you can bring out of New York, L.A., and Washington, D.C. for that. And neither can we. And neither can we. And so we're – and then they went to Nevada. Nevada was the same story. Yep. Remember, Republican governor, one of two senators, yep. same thing. They've turned Nevada. We're next. And so you see us here where we held onto the legislature two years ago or a year and a half ago, despite the fact that our side got outspent like eight to one. Right. I mean, racist. But we've now lost both Senate seats. Right. We, we, we've lost the mayorship, mayoral race, mayoral, mayoral race of our biggest city. Yep. And our next two cities. Yep. <laughs> I mean- it's um they are far better organized they're far better focused on this look if you're a republican in new york right now donate find a candidate in one of the middle states in arizona in texas find a swing candidate get behind them send your money to them if you're in california do the same thing we can't win those those fights right now right Maybe in 10 years we turn things around and we can, but right now we can't. And so put your money where it matters. That's what Democrats are doing, and it's making a huge difference. Their collectivist thinking is helping them win. Absolutely it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting, too. You know, um, gun owners in upstate New York who are just constantly under siege oh. by, by uh, Albany and New York City, uh, their biggest hope is to have florida arizona and texas fighting at the supreme court fighting everything that's right because there's zero chance out of new york no look your your new york governor is going to be anti-gun your new york legislature is going to be anti-gun right and they are not going to back down 
right? Like they may, when they're campaigning, they may make some sounding noises to you, but it's a lie. They're not going to spend the capital once they're there. Of course not. They're not going to do that. So you have to put, look, if you're in New York, put your money or California, put your money into these states where we can help control the Senate, where we can help control the U.S. House, and where we can control some of these big cities. Because if you keep Phoenix, for instance, as a more middle of the road even, I, I mean, I'd love to go bright red yeah but that's my you know my fantasy i i don't i don't expect that to happen anytime right. soon but if you can just keep it somewhat middle of the road look phoenix still has a pretty good quality of life you can get around here you can drive around prices even housing prices are they've gone up but they're not bad we have a very good place to live the reason we have a good place to live in all these coastal cities are garbage to live in is because of the policies of the people that are being elected there give us the example You know, if you lose the example, it's like all this stuff that they're doing with COVID, right? Where we've got to get everyone vaccinated. Well, that kind of eliminates the possibility of control group to tell you how effective the vaccines are or aren't. So if you eliminate any possibility of opposition, it makes it a lot easier to move your agenda forward. Yeah, you know, it's crazy too. It's uh, it's this uh, what Thomas Sowell calls this uncoupled intellectualism. It, there's no empiricism and there's no proof in the pudding anymore. No. So you've got city after city failing and failing and failing. And then the political unit that's attached to those failing cities is here converting our city. That's right. Which has been succeeding and is looking more failing all the time. It's super yeah. frustrating. If you go back 10 years, Phoenix, our roads were really nice. Um, you know, we had good, we had a, about 800 more police officers than we do now. And that's for a city that was about 25% smaller. Um, we had very low crime except in a handful of areas. Uh, that's all going away. The quality of life is going away. You didn't used to have panhandlers at every intersection, but worse yet, you're actually getting some of the behaviors we're seeing in California, particularly where they're actually starting to interfere with people trying to go in and yeah. out of shops and yeah, things like yeah, that. Yeah. No, they get, they get a little, uh, they're getting they're a little getting audacious. Yeah. yeah. I had a panhandler get audacious with me in uh, Boston common one time. Mm-hmm. I had just stumbled out of the bullfinch pub. I was carrying a, like, I think it was a 32 ounce commemorative cheers mug. And, uh, I was with a couple friends from college and we had uh, been trying. We had been sampling some Sam Adams for several hours, so we stumble out of this bar. If, and if could- you're in Boston, you're not sampling Sam Adams. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> well, we were doing it right. Trust me. <laughs> Somebody went without beer that day because of me. <laughs> we walked out of there and go up the stairs, and we cross the street, and we walk across this park to where we were parked. And as we're going across the park, a guy comes up to me and says, "Hey, man, you got a dollar?" Now, I was a college kid that had driven to Boston to buy cigars and drink beer. I wasn't planning on bringing any money home with me. No. So I had a $20 bill, I remember, and it was my last beer I bought. It was this giant commemorative (laughs) mug full of Sam Adams. And I said, well, no tip for you. It's my last beer. And I bought the beer. I drank the beer. I walked out with the mug. I didn't have a penny on me. I've got two two expensive cigars for a college kid and, and this mug. And the guy stops me. It was a good me. haul for a college kid. Oh, it was a good haul. Like, going back broke to your dorm, that's a normal thing that is, in, that when is, I was in college. Hey, look, that's a good weekend. Right. So I'm walking across, the guy comes out, and hey, man, you got a dollar? And I said, no, man, sorry. And then the dude started, you know, he started motherfucking me. And I was like, hey, I, I said, 
I just spent, I pulled one of my pockets completely out empty. I go, I just spent it all for this mug. And then he says, I bet if I pull a knife on you, you'll come up with a dollar. And he puts his hand into his pocket and starts coming up like he's got a knife. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a jarhead. I didn't wait around. I took my mug and went bonk. I hit him in, <laughs> I hit him in the face with the, with the mug. And apparently there was a cop on a horse. Saw which, the whole, which they actually still do have in Boston. <laughs> saw the whole thing happen. So I hit the guy with the mug, and my mug breaks off from the handle. So I'm holding on to the handle of the mug. The mug's on the ground. The dude falls down, and he's got a red ring. I couldn't have tried to make it. went three-quarters of the way around his face, the bottom of the mug. I whapped him with it. He falls down. The cops come up, and they hauled the dude off. And um, uh, I don't think that goes on anymore. No, in this day and age, you'd get arrested, not him. <laughs> yeah. No, you absolutely would. Yeah, no question. And that was the right. I mean, that's look, I tell you, you did the right thing. And, you know, the guy was like, well, I, I bet if I get a knife and pull it out, you know, he's doing like I'm that. Not, I'm just not giving him. you any chance. Yeah, no, you know, give him a chance. Look, you can go right now to San Francisco. If you want to go to a Starbucks in inner city, San Francisco, they're going to get a couple of bucks from you. They're not going to let you in. They actually will physically bar the door. Multiple homeless people will work together at it and they extort every customer that tries to walk in that location. The cops will do nothing about it. I am just flabbergasted that there isn't a revolt about it. Like, where is everyone who's pissed off about it? Have they just gone to the suburbs and they don't care? You know, I think um, there's two things. One, a lot of them have gone to the suburbs and they don't care. A lot of them have moved already to Texas and Florida and that kind of thing. Um, but at the other end of the thing, I think people are being shamed, right? I mean, a lot of... We, I did some work in North Carolina ahead of the, the 2016 election. We were actually going door to door in the final days of the election trying to figure out, you know, exactly where Trump and the U.S. Senate race were and that kind of thing. So we were actually doing kind of a, a push ball basically at the door. Um, but one of the things we found was that the people who would admit to voting for Trump or supporting Trump, their support went up by about 30% if they were home alone. And I mean alone alone. Oh, like their wife's not in the house. Yeah, the, the wife, the husband isn't there, whatever it is, the kids aren't there. 30% increase in people who said they support Trump at that point. And because they had made it a stigma, right? right. In a lot of areas, it was socially stigmatic. And that's the mm -hmm. kind of same thing you run into in a lot of our inner cities. If you're a Republican, you're evil, you're racist. You still, you're all you still vote things. in private, though. You do, you do. But again, I think there's, I think people, well, do you? Actually, let me back that up. Do you? Because 80% of our vote is on mail-in ballot. Not me. I, I like to go down the old-fashioned way. I actually like the polls. Me too. I, in fact, my idea for this, and you know, if, if we're making Sam dictator for a few days, I'm going to change it. I'd get rid of the mail balloting. So would I, I would do a three-day or four-day event. So I would actually start on Saturday, go through the Tuesday. You have to go to your precinct. You have to go to the polling place. I would make Tuesday a state holiday. I'd throw parades. I'd throw fireworks. I'd, I'd get everybody a, involved. Yeah, I'd make it a giant civic event. And make it so we don't have to do this mad eight-hour, 12-hour yeah, no, scramble. Garbage. Right, which yeah. is just a recipe for disaster That's that exactly we get over and is. over again. Yep. So, you know, I think, all right, look. You're running, you're in this municipal political soup that is, uh, from the outside, looks absolute fucking madness. Yep. Um, it is madness. And um, you're obviously, you know the lay of the land well enough to position yourself to do this. You need money to do it. Tell us where we can go to donate some money. Samstone.vote. 
samstone.vote just the way it sounds no yep. complications no complications at all uh might you know you can look up sam for six if you really want to get technical about it but just samstone.vote go to the website there uh if you can send me a few bucks i will be eternally grateful and, and i think as you can probably tell from this conversation i'm not the kind that is going to back down or back off i mean i i'm going there to, to i you know to, what to i fight listen i grew up in paradise valley okay I have had lots of Jewish friends. I like Jews, and I like conservative Jews. They're some of my favorite conservatives because they've got that Torah argumentative uh, game. And what I don't like about a lot of conservatives, they've got no game. That's it. And I like, bring your fucking game because they're coming with their bullshit, and you have to know their side of the argument. No, look, they, they are already attacking me the entire field. I've got a Republican and like five different Democrats already attacking me nonstop. Because I'm the one that'll speak up. You've got another Republican in the field who, you know, he, they asked him, I think last, he ran a four years ago for mayor and got smoked. Who are we talking about? Uh, Moses Sanchez. He's uh, running He's running for the Yeah, he's camp. running for the seat. And he's a nice guy. And, you know, I mean, I like him on a personal level. But, you know, go back to the mayoral debate. What's the most important thing? Oh, we have to work together so that we, you know, so that we can all get along for the benefit of our city. Bull. Bull crap. Yeah. The other side doesn't play that game. They're no. just going to take advantage of you. If you try to do that, you have to fight. You have to be a warrior. No, we have to say fight the good fight. Yeah. We have to fight the good fight. No, you have to throw a fit. I, I will lose. I will throw a fit and lose. And I'm okay with that. Let me but talk. I, but I'm not okay with people who, who win. So, so you need money to win. Yep. And you kind of know all the buttons you need to push to get there. Yep. Uh, everybody thinks they're going to win. But they do. real political folks know what their odds are. Mm -hmm. And if someone said, well, if you had a million dollars of your own money right now, how much of it would you put up for you winning? How are, how are you, how do you feel like you're positioned? Look, I, I think it's going to be tough. I, in fact, I know it's going to be tough because our district has gone more blue over the years. We have basically uh, Awatuki and Arcadia. So we could be down to one? We could be down to one. And that's why I'm, I'm running this race is to fight that fight. So it's going to be tough, um, but I believe it's thoroughly achievable. I think the opponents in it don't offer anything. Let me ask you: Are you? Um, wh where's your? Where's your district? Give me, give me uh, boundaries. So Awatuki, all of Awatuki, uh, and then it runs actually up an abandoned. Talk about gerrymandering! It runs up an abandoned railroad right away mm -hmm. uh, into Arcadia, and and then bends over into Central Phoenix a little bit. Speaking about bending over, do you go out and are you shaking hands and knocking yeah. on doors? Oh, absolutely. Because you have to do yes. that. Yes. Yeah, you have to do a lot do of that. Do you do it every day? You have to do. Yeah, I do, what I do is five days a week. Um, cause then Saturday I'm almost always, I got events, you know, you're going to that kind of thing. Um, and how, do, how does it, uh, are, is everyone else doing that work as well? No. Okay. Not everybody. All I right. mean, there, there are, there, there's a, a, one of the Democrats is actually doing a lot of work that way. Um, but Moses didn't do that last time around either. So I don't expect so much I, this time. I can't remember who, um, you know, the thing about politics I find is most of the people in the business are super fucking lazy. They oh, want to totally hire it all out. Yeah. And I've talked to guys who win and they say, you know, uh, you know how you, you know, you know how you get 10,000 people to vote for you. Well, you divide it by how many work days you want to put into it and shake that many hands a right. day. That's how you do it. Right. Because they're the most likely to support you. Remember your name or click if they've shook your hand. Yeah. Jim, Jim Waring, who again is a very conservative vote on the council, not a fighter, but a very conservative vote. Uh, has won every one of his elections just by going out door to door. And he never stops, by the way. He, he does he it. Four-year terms, and he keeps going out day after day after day all throughout his terms. So he's touched everyone in his district. 
he shook hands with everyone in his district. Democrats aren't even running an, an opponent against him. Right. And that's work ethic. That's work ethic. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, do we have any viable Republicans going in any of these Dem districts? Because it sounds like they're all actually super winnable they if are you're willing to do the work. They are super winnable. And and right now we need more Republicans to step up. We have a, um, a libertarian, I think, independent type in one of them. And then the others, I there are no Republicans that have stepped up for them. We have four districts up this year or next year, you know, 2022. And here's the really interesting thing. Two of those are are traditionally big blue districts, but they're Hispanic heavy. And I got to tell you right now, I think I could walk, I think I would actually have an easier time winning in a Hispanic heavy district than I will in, in mine, which has a lot of white liberals. Because I can go to those Hispanics right now and, and say, listen, here's all the things that are going on in our city. How much we're defunding the cops? Homeless are all over the place. Your kids aren't, are, you know, your parks are look like crap. Um, they're trying to let men who call themselves women into the bathroom. Oh, with the Hispanics your daughter. don't like that at all. No, I I could go out right now and run that campaign in in South Phoenix and whoop butt. I actually think that the Hispanic uh, population, which has been just like the black population has been abused and taken advantage of by Democrats. I'm, I'm going to say something. Uh, right, uh, go yep. ahead. Go ahead. I'm going to say something right now that my opponents go. Five, all of you can clip this right now and call me a racist all day long. But I will tell you straight up, if I'm going into Hispanic communities, I'm looking at them and going, do you really want to become the black black communities? Do, do you want to do you want to go down the path they've gone down where you've allied yourself with the Democratic Party? They've used you. When and I turned you into a plantation, I I listen. You read a little Malcolm X, then go talk to right. black people from the inner city, and then you scratch your head a little bit and go, "How have they allowed themselves to be taken advantage of? Because they've been abused. They've been abused. Right. No, that's what it is. Look, they are held on a plantation uh, for their votes. Yeah, and they are fed minimally. They are given the bare necessities to scrape by. And what you've created, by the way, when we talk about black people in this country, we're always ending up talking about inner city, low income black people. And we define black people by that. And we should not. Because there's a huge group of left. Yeah, the, the vast majority of black people are middle class and above and bear no resemblance to the street hustling thugs that people talk about when they talk about black America. Right, because the upwardly mobile black is not a problem for America. Well, no, and, and look, an upwardly mobile black there's no, person... There's nothing to talk about there. Right, they're like every other upwardly mobile right. person. They want safe neighborhoods, they want good schools, they want they want nice roads. I mean, they basically just want to be left alone. And then when you pull them, they pull just like I do. And right. so they're not actually racist, they're classists. No, that's it. They want to... They want to be mobile like and the, move up. The most racist people in this country are white liberals. I mean, oh, they yeah. are just so ridiculously racist. I deal with them all the time. And right. this idea that you need to treat black people differently, that they can't get an ID because they're black or something like, are you effing kidding me? Right, it's horseshit. It's garbage. And, and it's offensive to me. Yeah. You know, I mean, treat everyone the same. It's funny. And, and then, um, so what's interesting to me, the 2020 election, uh, I thought was fascinating because... Um, the black population of America voted more Republican than it had ever done before. When the Hispanic population, and, not more, but in line with when George Bush uh, was president, and they really liked him. So, okay, it spoke Spanish, for right, God's sake. And, and reached and, out to them. And what's happening now is I think the Democrats are freaking out because the truth is blacks and Hispanics 
as a group, whether it's the uh, challenging uh, uh, urban demographic or the upwardly mobile, they have more in common, the rest of us Americans, than they do the Democrat Party. Yeah, look, the Democrat Party, if, if you follow their lead platform, it only appeals to about 15% of the country, right? And you, you were talking about how left and right, there's a lot of similarities, actually, when you drill down to it and you ask people what they really want in their lives mm -hmm. and you kind of get it away from politics. I have a good friend in this business, a consultant who does always says, you know, politics isn't a line left, right. It's a circle and crazy meets at the bottom. And that's really the reality is that, look, you have 15% on either side of the aisle who are batshit and they're nuts, right? It just is what it is. God love them. God love them. But they're not, they're nuts. Yeah. And you've got to ignore you. Look, I mean, you can go talk to them and you should. You should engage with them, all that, but you can't build your dang policy platform around them. And that's what Democrats have done. And frankly, I lay all of this at the feet of Obama, because when he went out to get reelected, he actually empowered critical race theory, mm -hmm. all these other things for because he knew he actually had to divide the country to win. Right. He was going to because of Obamacare and, and his failures in his first term, he was going to lose his reelect. And they went out and deliberately divided the country and empowered these crazy radical lefties who even the Democrat Party had previously ignored. And cut them loose. And they cut them loose. And this is the result now that they, these batshit ideas are in every one of your schools. If they tell you there's no critical race theory in your school, laugh. Because the top two, basically two companies provide all the textbooks in America. Right. And critical race theory is embedded in the curriculum in both of them and, 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 and we found out during covid because as i've sat and talked a lot in uh, my my daughter's in an international baccalaureate program and when we talk she, it's her favorite course right yep. and she's grown up with me i mean you you want to have a granular discussion about the death penalty, abortion, progressive taxation, regressive taxation. You can dive into that with my 15-year-old daughter. It's awesome. And and people are like, holy shit. I'm like, well, that's what we talk about. That, that makes her like the 1% of the 1%. Well, what's crazy is she comes home to me and she says, she's, she, you know, she's an angsty teenager who got all of these body changes going on and she's got all of this so much harder in the era of social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It's funny though. The common ground we have is talking politics. <laughs> it's like a old, it's a safe space where she and I, it's just dad and right. daughter talking about the yeah, world for, for my dad. For my dad and I, that was baseball. Right. I was, yeah. I was thinking it's I was trying to think of an analogous thing, but it's just like guys talking sports yeah. about Hank Aaron or whatever. It was my my daughter. What else does she talk to her 52 year old ex marine knife business politically insane father about? She's a pubescent, you know, adolescent female growing up in this yeah, country no, look, going you, to high school. You, you got we don't, in common we don't have a lot of common ground right. at this period in her life. OK, so we do talk politics and her her teacher is a crazy lefty course and uh and doing a pretty good job of trying to teach both you know look my 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 favorite teacher in high school um was uh my my poli side teacher my junior yeah. year and uh, uh I, he kind of changed my life oh look i i i took courses jake mohegan and he went to boston catholic Nice. But I know I'm sorry, Boston Public. He went to Boston Public. Which is a great school, great school. And still is. And so he was a super lefty, but he's like, here's both sides of the argument. Now I, I you know, you guys can tell where I'm from, but here's both sides. 
And it was a fantastic, it was one of, you know, it's one of my, it was a, it was a seminal class in my life. And my daughter's going through that now, but you can see the embedded leftism in everything. Yeah. So they, it's really insidious in the way it's embedded in the curriculum, because it's like you said, I had the same kind of experience. I had a college professor who, a woman who was a dedicated communist and had actually been in Russia and the Eastern Bloc during communism and was still a dedicated communist. Mm -hmm you know, visiting and, and all that thing. I, I don't know how you come from America because I had had the chance to visit the Soviet Union in 86 and saw what it was like. And I would not have gone over there and been like, boy, we need to do that. Yeah, let's do this. But but she did. But she taught everything from a balanced perspective. Here's what, just like you said, here's what one side says, here's what the other says, blah, blah. That's fine. I, well, I don't, I, that's, I, that's great. That all worked because dissent was so encouraged. Right. Because I remember, Jake, you know, his name was Jake Mahegan, and we called him Jake. We didn't call him Mr. Mahegan. Jake would be like, and he had that great Boston, he had a great Boston accent. Oh, uh, when you can park the car in Harvard Yard, you know, you, you know you're on your game. No, 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 Greg. No, I see a look on your face. Go. Go. Like he wanted. No, that's good. I it, go is one of those Boston things, right? Yeah. Go, go, yeah. No, and so he, it. I'd be like, well, what about this? He goes, oh, and, and then we'd have, and then he would smile. He would always give me this kind of violent coach hug on the way out of class. He'd come up next to me. He's, you know, he, he was uh, encouraging. Yeah. And that what's, I've never had a problem with leftism being presented. No, no, it's wrong. But go it, ahead. I can argue. Give us your perspective. It. If you want to, if you want to have a discussion about it. I think I'm going to win that discussion, right? Right. So I'm going to have the discussion. But the fact that they're so against the Socratic method of debate and argument now, it's seen as wrong. And I'm like, debate and argument, it is the crux of who we are as Americans. It's the marketplace of ideas, the marketplace of products. It's the competition. And it's the very thing at their core they deny God over, the origin right. of species and evolution and Darwin and survival of the fittest. It's the survival of the fittest idea. Well, uh, you, you have to start with the premise that for leftists, uh, politics is their religion, right? Leftism is their religion. And when everything else has been thrown aside and that becomes your religion, then you can't compromise on it. You're not, you, because you're compromising on your religious beliefs. And if you look around the world and the entire history of the world, totalitarianism always comes in from the left because you need those populist, um, you know, we're going to take care of the little guy argument to get in the door. You need a lying sales pitch without accountability. Absolutely right. Because then that's who you're going to screw over when you're when you're in power. They always do. So so let's talk just for a minute. So you've got your plan you're working on. Uh, do you have any uh, group working with you to help you get elected? Uh, so, no, I, I do political consulting, um, you know, on my spare time kind of thing, if yep. you will. I've done a lot of campaigns and elections. I am going to bring in a digital firm at some point here, but for the most part, I have a young lady named Jamie Kleschick who was uh, with me in Sal's office. She does all the digital end. I do all the messaging um, and that kind of thing. How did Sal get elected? Same same kind of way. I mean, he he was uh, originally uh, an activist in the party here, and then he just went out and went door to door, and you know, I mean, okay, he, so he busted his butt. So listen, uh, hats off to you for doing this because I think it's just a fucked up soup, and I would never dedicate my life to trying to unfuck that because I'm trying to I, hustle living. So I, I, I never wanted to run for office in my life, and to be honest with you, I still don't. But I'm going to go all in. I'm going to go all after it because 
I love Phoenix. I love living here, and yeah. I don't want to screw this up, and I, I don't want to move to Texas. Well, listen, I don't want the scrutiny of running for governor, because I tell you, you know, I'm not some squeaky choir boy who just showed up here with a knife company. I'm, oh. a, I'm a former Marine with scars and oh, no, marks. Look, look and... They, got, they got plenty on me. <laughs> hey, they got plenty on me. My, my, my uh, Twitter feed alone is going to provide fodder for days, but uh, I don't care. Let, let's talk about a bigger plan. Um, it seems like with a little nudge, it seems like it only takes a little nudge and, yes. and your daily effort five days a week, maybe the nudge you need to get elected. And I, I hope you do. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, I have not endorsed anybody who's walked in here and I really hope, I don't know anybody you're running against, but, uh, it sounds like, uh, I, I, I like where you're coming from and I'm, I want you to put up the good fight. I and, appreciate it. And no, I think, like I, th you know, I think what we'll do is. Maybe if we can get you back again during the campaign, Anytime. we'd love to have you back. Um, I think it would be a great idea um, to pencil out a strategy for the council, the whole city council. Yeah. And I think if people see a vision like, you know, we don't just want to go here to stop the damage. We want to go here to ch to fix or to, um, you know, push back in the other direction completely. I think... Um, Tell me, your, what's your relationship with Carrie at this point? Uh, I'm actually her policy director. Okay. So I'm, I'm crafting her, all of her policy for her gubernatorial campaign. Okay. Um, and, you know, it, there it's obviously a much different story. That's a big campaign. Yep. She's the leading candidate for governor right now. So, um, you know, there we have a, a pretty extensive staff and all that kind of thing. So are you, um, the, and, and both your elections are going to be happening around the same time, right? Well, November 22 will be her general election, and I'm very confident. I, I mean, I think she's basically barring some giant slip-up already won the primary. I mean, I think she's cruising to a victory there. She's definitely got major name recognition, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, all the polling that we've done run right now, she's running at 40%. No one else is in, in double digits. So. Well, I don't like her policy discussion so far because she doesn't get into much, and I want to talk policy. Well, no, and... nobody can. I mean, that's part of the problem with our society right now is it takes a program like this to get into it because you go on TV. If I go get interviewed by Bram Resnick, or she does, you get three questions in 45 seconds, and it's gotcha yeah. games. Yeah, well, she sat here with me you know for a good piece of time and still there is a tendency to want to avoid talking about anything and i'm like hey this is a long format let's let's get into well, it roll our sleeves up and i chat. think in carrie's case and, and i always say this to people don't look for someone who knows policy when they first start running unless they've already been in in office right I mean, look if they're in office and they don't know policy get rid of them i don't care what like, side they're on I, i've been grinding on this stuff yeah. for 35 years yeah. so when people show up i generally feel they're ill-equipped to run for office you don't know a goddamn thing now they, no. they get to they get the lay of the land pretty quickly yeah i like where her head's at and i like where her heart's at and talk well, to me a little what i like is that she's learning the policy really fast okay i mean that's one thing i see with her that i've much more than other candidates um she really she's she absorbs information at a tremendous rate and she knows how to view it through her own moral lens, which I think is one of the other most important things for candidates to do. When you guys are ready for debate prep, call me. You betcha. I'll come. Uh, I'll come play uh, adversary for. Her. I love it. Yeah. Um, and of course, that's got to happen at the gubernatorial level, right? She's oh, yeah. going to have some real debates. Yeah, she for should, sure. She should scrap with somebody like me who's comfortable on both sides of the aisle. No, that's that's what we need. I yeah. mean, you know, you need you need to be tested. You need to be hit with what your opponents. You know, bring listen, or, I like her, or, or and worse. I like her, and I like Matt Salmon. Yeah, I, I like Matt a lot because of uh, his history, his Arizona roots, and I like him because he'll dive into policy mm -hmm. and he's been around. Um, I, I. 
you know, my personal take is I would freshen up his look. I would, I, I would work on him being fresher so that people see she is part of that post-Trump, like, bursting yeah, I, with energy. I, I actually, I mean, I've supported Matt quite a bit in 2012 with Freedom Works. Obviously, he was one of the primary people, you know, 2010, 2012. We were working, you know, to get him and Jeff Flake and a few others in there. Um and I like him a lot, although he doesn't like me, mostly because he and Sal have an ongoing beef that's like 15 <laughs> years old now. Um, this is personal. I, I don't yeah, even I get even into it. I, I, no, I don't even get into it. But I mean, they, you know, they have that thing. From, for Matt, the biggest thing that I would say is that the, the, he made a mistake that's really hard to, to come back from. It's once you've gone into lobbying, um, unless you're really limited on what clientele you're going to take and who you're going to, you know, what issues you're going to touch on you have a you're going to have a weakness and so for instance he he did some lobbying for the town of uh, surprise against uh bringing the f-35 to luke mm. right how does that play in a general election when that goes up on tv it doesn't play well right there, there's a lot of things like that 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 you do and I understand, I mean, it, you know, the town of Surprise didn't want the F-35 because it's louder than the F-16. Um, and and if you're surprised, you're not terribly concerned about Luke. You're concerned about all the bedroom communities that you have, right? Yeah. And so I understand why Surprise hired a lobbyist. And I understand Matt taking the contract because, again, the town wants it. Their people want it. But then you have to go and try to explain that to the whole state. And it's a whole different ballgame. And a lot of times when you're doing those things in lobbying, you may be opposing something, but not to, to stop it. You may be opposing it to to give yourself positioning to make some adjustments, right? Maybe it was about flight patterns, right? Things right. like that, right? right. That sometimes can, it's just to get yeah, a stay. You, you come in with the, the hard ball. Right. And, and then you make a deal. Right. Right. So there's a lot of that. But, but the sausage making is so difficult and complex that it's really then hard to explain on the campaign trail. It's why I've been in politics now for, for 15, 16 years, but the only lobbying I've done was for the civics education initiative. Cause I can go in there and say, look, I can defend that all day long. You know, what I did was go in for a cause that I truly believe in, which is civics education. And I went into 34 States around the country and, and lobbied their legislatures and spoken, you know, at their legislative sessions. Right. Right. It's that. almost like saying I, I lobbied for rape victims. Right. Like no one's going to be like, Oh, what would you do that for? No, that's yeah. insane. Uh, I've actually done that too. Marcy's law, but that's a different story. <laughs> okay. Well, um, so, uh, so, so Matt's got a couple problems, but it seems to me like those would be pretty deftly, you can definitely explain those if you get attacked on them. The problem is that people don't pay enough attention. I mean, realistically, this is the biggest problem in America right now. And it comes back to civic engagement and how, how, how involved people are. And the, the fact that the press is full of young idiots who don't know anything. I think it was Ben Rhodes from the Obama campaign and Obama team who actually said that in a New Yorker, right? He said, oh, we can tell these people anything we want and they'll buy it because they don't know anything. Right, and no right? critical analysis and no at critical all. analysis right. at all, and that's what you get. And so I think it's really hard for people out there, unless you're directly engaged and you really make an effort, it's really hard for people to know what's going on. So when you have an, a you know, million dollars spent on an attack ad, Matt Salmon tried to kill Luke Air Force Base, what do people know? Are they going to learn about the issue? Or are they just going to see that one tagline? And that's that to me is the ultimate problem with politics today. 
but you, you have to be aware of it when you're running for office. Yeah. Uh, and also when you do your uh, between office gigs, mm-hmm. you know, better to be a house painter than a lobbyist. No, absolutely, man. Yeah. You, you got to be really careful about what you're doing. So it's challenging for them. And we don't know the new, I mean, you may know the nuance of that. Was that what it was? Were they really just trying to alter the flight plan or they really didn't want their well, They, they really didn't want, I mean, surprise really didn't want it. Um, you know, but I think they knew that that wasn't going to happen. Right. I mean, so, so if Surprise had come to Greg and said, hey, Greg, we're going to give you $150,000 to do this, I would have said, hey, look, you could spend your money, but that airplane's coming here, and it's great for Arizona, and the U.S. military needs right. it, and you guys fucking go get in your golf carts and enjoy your life. Oh, exactly right. I mean, I would say the same thing, right? <laughs> I mean, we, in fact, we like, were dealing I, with I that. can't put my life energy into dumb shit. No. That's dumb shit. No, that's dumb shit, man. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, they actually did fight it off in Tucson. Right? There's no F-35 in Tucson. They were awesome. going to have them at DM, which is fantastic for Luke. It's fantastic for Phoenix in the Valley because we've gotten a couple of extra squadrons here that we're going to go in down there. And God forbid Tucson have some money to take care right. of that Right, no, general. absolutely, right? So, you know, at the end of the day, what they've done is is they crater their own economy there. Right. And, and you certainly, look, they have 35 I think that's a piece of shit. I mean, quite frankly, it's it's garbage. And I can't wait till we replace it with something functional that hopefully costs less because that was a total political nut job of a design. It's the aircraft version of the Bradley fighting vehicle. Exactly right. Look, they have parts manufacturers for it in literally 48 of 50 states. So if you wonder why the F-35 keeps getting approved and whatever, and the F-22, which was actually a really good design. Fantastic aircraft. Yeah. They, they only made a couple, you know, less than 200 of them. And we keep churning out these F-35s that nobody wants. Nobody wants to fly. The pilots hate them. Everyone hates them. The ground support guys are like, that's fucking useless. And they're too complicated. And they're too complicated. Yeah. You know, I mean, already they're talking about, well, we have to redesign the whole fleet and do an upgrade on them. They're like, what? They're 10 years old. You know, we we had the the V-22 Osprey that the Marine Corps spent, yeah. I don't know, like three or four decades developing. That Forever. Thing. And then they then they have to protect it. It can't really go into right. No, an you, can't, you can't fight right because any bullet hits it anywhere, and the guy the thing's going crash. down. Yeah, no, absolutely, it's a piece of junk too, right? So we, I mean, it's but it's a you know it's a premier bragging piece of military hardware, right? The V twenty two Osprey, the F thirty five, the Bradley fighting vehicle, and you know, like I'm a nobody. Um, I had. Uh, uh, Mick McGuire here, and he's like, "Oh, I could run through twenty programs like that, right?" You know, because he's in on it. Oh no, he does. He knows that stuff. I like Mick a ton, by the way. Yeah, I, I really wish he was gaining more traction right now. And folks, if you're out there, that Senate race has great candidates. It, um, it has really. I'm a, blown away. I mean, has, I like great. Candidates. I like all. I mean, yep. I like a lot of the guys in it. Don't, you you don't. need to do your research out there, folks. If you're voting in Arizona on that Senate race, do your research because they all bring something different to the table, but they're all really high level. Yeah, and I, I, uh, you know, I encourage people. You guys listening in from elsewhere, if you want to have something make a difference, anything you can get money into anywhere in the country right now, when the entire country is sitting on a 50-50 split. There's never been a better year for a return on your investment in the political capital. You know, any place you can affect, and and look, uh, Mark Kelly can lose his seat here. That seat, I think, is winnable. Oh, look, Mark Kelly will lose his seat if we are given the tools to compete. And 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 it's money. Yeah, it's money. It, people, it, people say, "What makes an airplane fly?" 
And always it's money. It's money. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I tell people all the time, look, if you don't want to have everything like Build Back Shittier or any of these other dumb programs, which were just all preying on the heels of Joe Manchin to keep his senses. Right. Because everything on paper says he should have well, not that, well, done what he that's did. That's the other thing you can do. If you know anybody at all in West Virginia, have them write Joe Manchin a note and ask him to become a Republican. I'll take him. Well, shit. How about just thank him so emotionally? Yeah. Because no, sometimes just having people give you their voice of support allows you to get out here and and, and uh, have your convictions. I mean, the attacks on Mansion are crazy. And, and you know what? They're not. They're not buckling him. You no. know. You know what guys from West Virginia do when you push that hard? Yeah. They keep the steel running all night. <laughs> Look, there's a reason that you when you're talking about steel workers and coal miners, you're talking about some tough SOBs. Yeah. He. If, you're, you're not you're not talking about the kind Ocasio Cortez is no. going to buckle him. No, see this. I actually got into it with some uh, a black elected official in New York City in, uh, last year over COVID, and I was like, "Okay, you guys suck at this. You're the worst COVID results in the entire nation, and you're out here attacking us in Arizona and and whatnot. You're you're fucking crazy." Right. And she's coming back and she starts coming back. You need to stop. You have to stop. I'm like, wait a minute. You're on my damn thread. Right. The beta betas on the left get pushed around by this crap and then they think everyone else is the same. Right. But when you run into actual men and Joe Manchin's a man and you're coming up and attacking him. Yeah. He's just going to dig his heels in and go and put two fingers up in the air and say, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Well, it's curious. Um, it uh, There's never been a time in the United like this. I've donated more money this year towards po political action around the country than i've ever done like, before and uh I, this is that moment yeah and I, I i i should probably talk about it a little bit more and i think i will make a concerted effort but you know people always feel like oh you give a hundred dollars to this person it doesn't matter a hundred dollars matters. matters fifty dollars matters matters fifty dollars can put a sign up on a corner yep. that gets four people from that neighborhood to know your name when they're right. standing in the booth and it is really a battle of the the funny thing is we don't need, everyone's like, Greg, when are we going to raise up arms? I go, we don't need to raise up pitchforks and arms. Yeah. We need 10 more people in every precinct to go vote. Right. 10. Right. They're like, well, I go, that they're, oh, that's an oversimplification. I go, yeah. no, it's actually not. Now, so <laughs> so you want to know the, the biggest secret uh, in the country right now to elections in the future? 2% in our major cities. If Republicans swing 2% of the vote in our major cities, we dominate every national election going forward for the foreseeable future doesn't take that much you've got to get your local candidates you've got to get behind them and they'll help you create get generate that turnout but you got to go into these inner cities you got to fight for them we've given them up democrats haven't they fight everywhere we don't that's what you're talking about that's what we need people to do pick a senate race that's competitive pick a congressional race that's competitive if your district isn't go find one that is and send them a few bucks if you're a new york republican I feel like what you should do is send your money to Georgia, Arizona. I mean, there's the, the states. Georgia, Arizona, North Carolina, Michigan. Yeah, the states that flipped or surprised yep. people during the, the national election, those are places where you can tip the balance. Yeah. Uh, it's it's hard if you're sitting in California. Let's say you're out in Modesto and you want to put con your conservative farming money up for the body politic. It's hard to rationalize doing it because it's just good money after bad. Yeah, it's good. It's You're throwing it away. Look. You can't, you're not going to turn a deep blue area, right? right? Right. But if you've got a swing, this is the year. 
And even some of the things that were kind of light blue that they were they were very confident in, we can swing. The other part is, I I would tell you this: I'm obviously not one, but if you Hispanic Republicans get behind them, when I, you see Hispanics running for office on the Republican side, get behind them. I know, and um, it's funny. Uh, I was, I, I've had this discussion with a lot of people, and I'm sure you have as well, and especially. I've got a pretty right-leaning crowd of friends, and they are just pissed after the election. I said, hey, listen, it blew the first debate, didn't handle that well. Yep. Um, and, and a lot of people don't watch the second debate. They just saw the first one. Yeah. Go, oh, that's the way it matched up. Seems like a pissed-off bully. I'm not into it. That's it. Um, but we talked about the fallout of the electorate, and you look at how people voted. Yep. Uh, and it, he didn't lose the election because of black people. No. More blacks voted from him than ever. He didn't lose it because of Hispanics. We had very high Hispanic yeah. turnout. And, and and as we're seeing now in the polls, Hispanics, they're finding out they belong. They should be Republicans. You, you know what it is? You know what it is? Look, and, and I want to say this because you have a national platform and, and I'm push, I've am push. i been pushing this for a decade now. And this is the most important thing I can tell every Republican in the country because I've dealt with races in our border districts, actually ones that are on the border, not, you know, like Maricopa County is not on the border. Right. Right. Um, don't talk about deportation. Get that word out of your damn vocabulary because you're not talking about someone they don't know. You're talking about a cousin. You're talking about a brother, lover, family member. You're talking about people they care about in the Hispanic community. We have been too lax on our border for too long. That's our fault. What you can do, should do front and center, is we are going to secure the damn border. Nobody is going to come into this country under any circumstances that we don't know who they are and give them permission to do so. That we can do. And when you go into the Hispanic community and you tell them that, they're 100% on board. Right. They're 100% on board. They're not great about rounding up and sending No, away. that's bad. Right. And, and look, the reality is it's not possible. Well, and what, you know, it's also, you can't undo what you've already screwed up. Right. So there's a little bit of you can't unring that bell. No, you, look, this is our fault. We but, left our board. But when we get stuck having the debate about that, when the debate gets framed about that, then it's a lose-lose always. Yeah. Democrats yeah, yeah. win that yeah. argument. Yeah. We win every other argument with Hispanics. You're talking about a population that believes in work. Hispanic women, particularly Mexican women, by the way, but Hispanic women as a whole are starting small businesses at the highest rate of any ethnic group in the country. They're entrepreneurial. When you go into Hispanic, we do a lot of work in South, the firm I work with does a lot of work in South Florida. We go into Hispanic communities there. We talk to people. We, we actually engage with them. And mm -hmm. that's what Republicans are not doing. If you've seen the turnout in Miami-Dade, we've been a big part of that. We've been on the ground there for the last five and a half years, almost six years. And what we did is start going in and just talking to them, asking questions, engaging, not telling them what to do or what to believe, but going in and asking. And what we came away with was, look, we, we like our cops. We need safe neighborhoods. We're family oriented. We want more parks. We want more of this stuff. But they don't align with Democrats on anything. So I in mean, other words, literally. So, I mean, I think it's so funny um, when you poll people, they're just like us. They're just like us. And. They're religious, they're conservative, they believe in work, they don't believe in handouts, and they think that person sitting home on the couch earning a welfare check is a drain on them, which is true. They, you, they get it. And you know who else is just like us? I, and, and uh, you know, I've not, I've not lived in the projects, I've not lived in some I in, have. inner city ghetto. I okay. have. But if you take out the caricature... Mm -hmm. that is so often foisted up when you talk about the inner city black. Yep. They're just like us too. 
when you take that exception out yeah they so, want safer community all, they all, all pro of that, police right? they are pro family i mean you so, know that you talk about that majority of quiet quiet african americans who have just they're in the middle class and they're up doing their thing yes. and they're not having that racial fight cuz they're like just keeping my head down i got my job at morton thiokol and i'm good to go right um they're just like us no they are <laughs> and so i actually I, I did when I actually moved back to Phoenix, I rented a place that was right in the ghetto and I didn't know it because I rented it over the internet and it looked real good from the outside. It was a, a giant, nasty, awful apartment complex, but my unit that I lived in was one of eight that entered from outside the complex. So they showed the photos of it and it's like, looks like a small little apartment thing on a nice green street with trees and grass and all that looks fantastic. You get there and it is literally a jail. I mean, you know, the, the whole thing. But I had I I did stay. I hate moving, and I'm not at home that often. So I stayed for a couple of years, and I got to know my neighbors pretty well. And uh, I had a black family that was a welfare dependent living next to me, Section Eight housing, the whole nine yards, and then a Hispanic family living underneath me who were. Um, I didn't ask, but I'm I'm fairly sure that they were not in the country legally, right? And um, the but they were working. You know, dad worked landscaping or whatever. Mom worked multiple jobs. The kids, once they got old enough, were out working. And um, the other family, there was nobody working, right? And the difference, they're both poor. But the difference in the quality of life that the two of the families lived was so dramatic because you had one family that when you're when you're poor and you have no way, and welfare, our welfare system's a trap. It's designed to keep people in it. Right. If you're a single mom, Section 8 housing, all this stuff, and you go get married and your husband has a job, well, you can't get married with, to a husband who has a job because you're going to lose all your benefits. In fact, you can't get married at all. So it disincentivizes starting a family. It disincentivizes work. If you go work, you might not have the skills to make 40 or 50 grand a year, which is what the equivalent benefits you're receiving are. Right. You might have the skills to start at 20 grand. So but, they don't have any progressive way no, to get a, off no, of it. So, so you like, can't hey, go get off get of your it. job, and, and if you make this much, right. we're gonna we're gonna yeah, adjust. We're for gonna you. adjust for so it. So you don't lose everything, right? So they basically say, "Oh, you got a job." They pull the rug out, right? From they pull the rug out from under you, and you're you're totally screwed. It's just what I always talk about. Their government is bad at everything, and it's the worst at helping the poor and disenfranchised. It's terrible at helping the poor and disenfranchised. It's terrible. It really is hugely damaging. And so the the biggest thing though is the lack of hope. So this this family that's on all this stuff, when they got into a pinch, like. It gets to the end of the month. They don't have any money. They don't have any food. I remember one of them, some guy owed him 20 bucks and they got into a little first fight. The cops are getting called the whole nine yards over 20 bucks. Why? Cause he has no way to get that money anywhere else unless he goes and commits crime. Right. Mm -hmm. He's got no route. Now, meanwhile, this Hispanic family that lived below me, dad made some mistakes, went out one night, got real drunk, ran from the cops, de aggravated DUI spends like a year and a half in jail and then gets deported and, you know, has to kind of make his way back. So he's gone for like a two, three years. Right. And this family, they get by. Why? Because the mom takes another job. They're doing yard sales on the weekends. Her cousin's helping out. They're in the gray market. They're in the gray market, but they're working. But they're they're hustling. hustling. Yeah. And that's the difference. They're self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency breeds success. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I would love to, you know, besides you stemming the tide of Marxism and that is being pressed, foisted upon us, I would love to see you put together an action plan for taking back the city. I, I tell you what, we can take, we can do a major, major step towards it in 2022 if people want to get out there 
if you're listening to this, if you know people in Phoenix, we have two districts in South Phoenix right now, heavily majority, majority Hispanic districts that are up for grabs. If you know someone in those districts who wants to win, I can tell you the, I mean, the messaging is really simple. You, you, you can win. You just got to get out there and do the work. I think, um, I think for voters, one of the most important things is like, hey, I'll vote and I'll send you some money, but I got a job. I can't go do that bullshit. That's that's yeah. a problem. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think it's so easy to have this be just this big mess. It's a big mess. Yeah. And you kind of know the backside of it. So the mess all makes sense to you. And to the rest of us, we go, I want nothing to do with that kind of insanity. What a bunch of bullshit. So if you had some sort of little map roadmap yep. for roadmap for the decade here's all we need to do it it when people see hope in right. their action they'll take action oh absolutely when they see hopelessness like the idea of me leaving right. my job and going down and running a hispanic district and trying to run for city council so that i can be on a right. minority group and fight against but, but here's the thing if you turn two seats on the city of phoenix council then we have a four con you know if you get Good conservative republicans you'd have four conservatives four liberals and one you know re republican registered independentish type that's a that's a great city that's going to work by the way actually you do need balance in local cities it's, it's actually important uh dallas yeah, both sides fight yeah it is yeah it is because you get different perspectives and different viewpoints and you do need them well i think um i think one of the best things you could do with your experience in getting people to care about the municipal election and not feel like it's a lost cause and what do we do well we'll just move to the city or that city because people just throw up their hands and go this I, is a rat's nest i deal with I them all even... the time they're like hey i'm moving out to glendale i'm like i need you here i need you to fight for phoenix so one of the things i i, I think you know you talked about it with trump is messaging yeah and I think if you have a message that says, hey, stay here, here's what we need to do, and it's this simple, I think it'll be really powerful. It, it, really simple. And, and actually, I would tell you this in every city, if you're listening out there, it doesn't take that much to change your local politics. It really does not. It's really about focus and engagement. And if you get a couple of seats in there, you can you can make significant change. If you can get a balanced council, yeah. you're really gonna you're going to do a lot. And if you want to talk about your quality of life and your family's quality of life going forward, your local government will have more to do with that than the federal government will ever have. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I, and that's the, the biggest thing, you know, when, uh, when Trump uh, played Frank Sinatra uh, and, and left the white house uh, much to the shock and dismay of everyone who thought he was going to mount up machine guns on the top of the building. Uh, he said, you know, hey, one of the most important things you can do is go get involved in your local school board. Right. And when I heard him say that, I'm like, that's a guy that really gets it. He does no, get look, it. I, you know what? Uh, your local school board and and really fight, but also uh, people don't pay attention. Most states have some mechanism like we do here in Arizona with the Board of Regents to oversee your colleges. Mm -hmm. And so I go back to when I, I went to U of A my freshman year. Um, one of my roommates was an idiot. You know, I was in a quad dorm, so mm -hmm. me and three other guys. And, yeah. you know, look, three random guys in college, one of them was bound to be a moron. And I got one. And, look, they, this guy wanted to be in, in business or whatever, but he flunked out of the business school in his first semester because he got all Ds or whatever. And they immediately went and put him in education. Awesome. Education majors have the lowest average SAT scores entering college among all college major fields. So now you wonder why you, these kids are coming out of there and they're embracing socialism. It's because they're losers.
Yeah. Like, it's a funnel. Yeah. You're funneling the weakest college kids in America into teaching. That's a recipe for idiocy. We should be paying teachers real money, but there's plenty of money in the system to do that. And then you should be demanding really high standards. Schools of education, and you can make this standard at the state level, school of education shouldn't allow anyone in who has less than like, they're in the upper third of their college entry class, right? In, in achievement coming in. It should be like business school or engineering where you, they're only taking the, the kids who are, are successful. Well, and, and I and I, I agree with that. The, the, but the really the biggest thing is I think about it as a boss, you know, if I've got 50 people in my charge and I am unable to fire, I'm unable to reprimand, I'm unable to affect change in my organization. Basically, I'm just managing a ship I can't steer. When that that's the thing, right? Bureaucracy is is designed to replicate itself. It's a virus. Right. And it's not really actually designed to accomplish anything. So if you go to City Hall in here in Phoenix or pretty much anywhere, one third of the people do 80% of the work, right? The other two thirds are just bodies. And so you could cut down every government we have could could be cut in half. And still have extra. And still have extra. Yeah, yeah I believe no, that absolutely. Too. I believe that. Well, listen, uh, tell us again your website where they can go to support you. Samstone.vote. Real easy. All right, cool. And you got any words of encouragement for uh, any locals? Uh, who Who is the, um, if you were to recommend for the national uh, audience, who is the person you pick that can make the effect the greatest amount of change where they could send 100 bucks today? Who would that be here in Arizona? Uh, here in Arizona, you know, pick your Senate candidate. Pick your U.S. Senate candidate. Well, let's pick one right now. Uh, for me, I'm going to pick Blake Masters. Which one's Blake? Blake is the tech guy. Uh, uh, the tech guy. Was he, is he from Tucson? Or? Tucson. Um, so each one of them brings something different, right? And that's actually one of the things I like about the Senate field is they've got different things. But Blake, one of the things I like is that he uh, he was one of the founders of PayPal along with Peter Thiel and, and that sort of thing. He understands the tech. Isn't that where uh, Elon Musk, did, wasn't he in on PayPal? Similar. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, he understands the tech world, right? And big tech. And frankly, there is not a single other Republican in the U.S. Senate who does. I mean, they just don't have the background. So does it experience. matter? Yes. Does it matter? Yes. How? It matters because you understand, first, the motivations, but secondly, the weaknesses within the industry, right? So he looks at it and he sees what they're doing in terms of censorship. And he knows where those buttons are and how we can push them legally to to abandon a lot of those things um he understands the tech economy which is a really critical element going forward because look ai high tech all these things these are coming the ai revolution which is we're on the doorstep of yeah is going to be one of the great fundamental changes in human history it's really going to change a lot and we are already seeing a lot of these changes coming down the pike you need people that understand them. And right now, there's basically nobody in Congress who does. Okay, so what's his name? Uh, Blake Masters. Do you, do you know him pretty well? I do. Well, yeah. well, how do I get him on the show here? Uh, well, I'll be happy to connect you with him. I'm uh, sure he'd, he'd love to do the program. He's you know, he's a really good guy. I like Mick a ton. It's I, hard I, for me to say this for any of them because I, I like a lot of these guys. Well, this is the weirdest thing for me as I've gotten to know all these candidates for governor and for Senate. I like them all in yeah. different ways. Now, look. And then you got to pick one. And then I'm like, oh, is Kerry not going to do Are they going to take my call? Right, like, like, are they going to be mad at me? Yeah, you know, I like, mean, uh, Jim Layman, you know, running yeah, in that race yeah, also yeah. built an energy company. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's. Look, those are, that's a big deal. A big he deal. understands energy. Yeah, he's a fucking grown-up. Right. 
you know, um, and, and Brnovich for all the, the crap he's gotten in recent months, like he can't charge anyone based on the cyber monkeys, cyber ninjas report. Cause they fucked that thing. I don't know much I, about they, it. The, the whole I've had, them, thing. I've had them in talking to me about it. And after they talk for two hours, I still don't know. No, what that's the, the problem. Happened. Look, you, the, the only way you were going to actually be able to like indict or come up with anything from that was if you use like one of the big four accounting firms like Deloitte and they went in ahead of time. Here's exactly what we're going to do. Here's exactly how we're going to do it. You follow that process to the key. I think the cyber ninjas figured out what was going on or, you know, did a lot of learning along the way. But the problem is if you're learning along the way now, it's not a result you can take to court. So people expecting Brnovich to go out and put, put indictments down. He can't do that. I mean, it's just because he, he didn't get the, no, the he doesn't structural have the, evidence. No, he doesn't have the structural evidence. He doesn't have the ammo yeah. to do that. Okay. Um, you know, and you can't just indict people on a fishing expedition. This is still the United States. I know Democrats are doing that with Trump. But I don't want our side to play that game. Right. Right. Like, I actually think the le preserving the legal system is more important. Yeah. So, you know, but but all of these guys bring really good things. Brnovich, his legal background and, and the work he's done as AG, he's done very good work as AG. I think he would be strong. But he's more of a traditional candidate, which is why I'm, I've kind of been going towards Blake and or Lehman and or Mick. And, you know, I mean, I think Mick brings something from a national defense perspective, his connections with the military across this country at a very high level. I think he brings something very unique to the table that you don't see a lot of. Yeah. I think Lehman, you know, again, like we said, founded an energy company. He's an adult. He brings something unique. Blake Masters, he brings something unique. I hate picking one. I'm kind of leaning Blake, but but they're all really good. Well, listen, if you can connect him, um, I would love to um, have Blake in and chat with him. Um, yeah, no, I'll be happy to connect you, and I'm sure he'd love to come on the program. Cool. You know, he's a he's a. What I like about him is he's a really easygoing guy. He got in trouble a bunch early because he kept showing up to stuff in sneakers, jeans, and polos, right? And in untucked polos, and everyone's like, "You're running for Senate. You have to wear a suit." And blah blah. And he's yeah. yeah so, so he that, does what I do. He throws on a jacket over the jeans and the the shirt. You know, I'm not in the least bit off put by that. Those are wonks who are like that. What I'm, what I am, uh, what I didn't, what I noticed is he didn't fill up the room when he spoke. Um, when I went to see him at the turning point thing about f three, four months ago, right? He just didn't take the room. No. And and honestly, it's uh, it's one of the challenges I see with uh, uh, with Matt. Matt is not grabbing the room either. He's no, got the information. No. He's correct. He's he's clearly a, r a real conservative. And, and the good news is Kelly doesn't either. And Mark Kelly, you know, whoever they're going to run into, no, he's he he's not a guy who's inspiring. I again, someone I know from Tucson. Um, so so Carrie's got two of the three. She's got name recognition, yes. and she does grab the room. Oh, huge! Yeah, and so those are you know that's two out of three, and two yep. out of three, like Meatloaf said, ain't bad, right? No. Um, and, and so we've got other folks who are, uh, good on policy and look, if, if people were number one looking for policy, which they should be, but they're not Bill Bradley would have been president. Right. I mean, it, there's a bunch of people like that, that you can point to, right. Um, yeah. that you would say should have been in much, much higher roles right. throughout okay. the tenure. Yeah. Um, it's hard to sell policy on the campaign trail because you, you, how do you sell a good policy in 15 seconds well, or 30 seconds? Yeah, you know, that's that's where, uh, you know, I think the biggest permeating across the board common problem I see in our nation right now is we have almost no neutral or right wing press.
Right. We have all left of center press. Now, look, I, I in fact, I, I can't stand the press, period. Yeah. And I'm going to throw Fox News under the same bus with all yeah, the rest I agree. of them. It's the same Especially Fox crap. 10, local yeah. one. They're oh, no, awful. They're, they're garbage. They're, they're terrible. And the national one's not a whole lot no, better. No, they're They'll not. at least let Let's Go Brandon be aired on their program. Right. No, but, but I mean, at the end of the day, look, I, I'm sick of biased news, and I have no idea where to go to find out what happened yesterday or today. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, I, you have to... You have to really search it out, and you have to try to figure out what the truth was. I was talking to somebody the other day. I said, you know, the problem with the real news is it's super boring. Right. Like if you say uh, 12 Hutu rebels took over uh, this town in right. Zimbabwe and today, people were killed. And then you go, uh, and, and then in California today, uh, there was an accident, boom, boom, boom. And then the, there's a Longshoremen's Union strike in L.A. It's boring as hell. Boring as hell. And that's why you, why you end up with, you know, to me, it's the shark attack effect, mm -hmm. right? Remember a few years ago when everyone was freaking out about shark attacks, which were no yeah, more common then right. than they are now or were before. It you was know, just the thing. But it was just the thing, right? It was sensational. You had some cute white girl who got her arm bit off surfing, and next thing you know, they're all out standing around the waves trying to find a shark attack to air on TV tonight. And that's what we've seen with COVID too, yeah. right? Yeah. Like sensationalism rules the day. Right. So um if we let's get let's see if we can get um your your tech friend in. We'll chat yeah, with Blake, him. Blake, we we would love to have him come in there. Look, I and I would I do want to say to folks, I'm not I haven't endorsed anyone in this race. All right. Um because I'm working with Carrie and obviously I have my own race. Yep. Um right now I'd vote for Blake, but it's close. Layman is right there, Mick's right there, Burno's like that far behind them. Yeah. Did I mean, you it's... see did you watch Mick's did you get a chance to maybe review the the interview that uh, Mick did yeah. with me here? Yeah. Well, I thought it was pretty fun. Was I good. thought it was fascinating. Yeah, no, it was really good. It's crazy. This environment, this long form format is a crazy place where People will poke their ass out a little bit while you're talking to them. You get to find out who they really are. That's what you want. Look, Absolutely. I'm, I'm sick of the polish. I'm sick of the, you know, yeah. pretenders. He, right? You know, he surprised me. I mean, I thought he was just going to be a dud general because most generals are effing duds. And uh, he's and, got some personality. Oh, he was fun. I yeah. was like, oh, okay. This is a guy who's read some classics and he was interesting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, absolute pleasure having you in. I wish you the best of luck. Uh, let me know if there's anything I can do to help uh, carry out. Um, and, uh, you know, it probably is in the form of uh, if some point you want to do some debate prep where you want to have her go ahead be and awesome. with somebody. Yep. I would love to be in on that. It would Fantastic. be great fun. Um, you know, I like her. I enjoyed having her yeah. in. I also got her. I know she's really new. It's early in the cycle. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see no, I want, how I want she to get, evolves. I, I want to get her back in here late, you know, later in the cycle too, because she really is learning at an incredible pace. I mean, I've worked with a lot of candidates over the years, yeah, and um, a lot of them, even smart ones, don't really pick up policy all that well. Mm -hmm. Maybe they do in one or two areas, but it's hard to really grasp the whole thing, right? Like, if if I come in here and I want to talk with you with your manufacturing business. In your knife company, if I want to talk with you about the business property tax depreciation rate, right? You're all over it. <laughs> but the general public is like, huh? Oh, you know, you know, it's it's. I feel so bad right now. I'd be like, hold on a second, let me go get my mom. You can talk to her about it, the right. accountant, because I'm like, ah, oh, I just want to go make knives and run my see, company. Okay, see, that's it, right? I know, like, I know. No, but that's the thing, right? And so. It, the real policy is boring right good policy 
should not get anyone excited in the morning. You know, I I guess uh, one of the things that um, I've said this a lot of times. One of the, you know, I like horse sense over intellect intellectualism. Yeah, and it does. And and you know, there's a tendency in this country when you say an intellectual, oh, they're really smart. No, not at all. They're theoretically based as opposed to practically based. Kate Gallego, the mayor of Phoenix, is is a Harvard grad, and everyone always talks about how smart she is. I don't think she's particularly smart at all. And I have a niece who, who's been going to Harvard. And I finally understood Kate by learning what my niece was doing in those classes. She brought me this big video thing she had done. And as she did it, she went through, and she kept quoting other people. I mean, nothing in there was her. And I, I got to the end. I said, Eloise, I think this is fantastic. But what do you think about this? And she said, "Oh, I can't put that in there. Everything we has to, everything we say has to have three approved sources." I, I, it's it, it, just regurgitation. I don't know what your experience is, but my experience with Harvard grads, and I've been around a decent amount of them. Surprisingly, I have found them to all be very smart because it's the barrier to entry. Oh, yeah. You got to no, be one absolutely. of the smart, smarty the, pant fuckers of the America. The intellect is there. No, no question about it. And I have also found them to all be very vacant of critical reason conformist they're absolutely conformist yeah and they're it's sad because i can generally like i've got a friend of mine he's an investment banker i mean it's a badass capitalist job right he's a harvard grad attorney right and i know his opinions on almost everything and i don't even have to talk to him it's sad And, and and no doubt he's good at his job but like where it really breaks down, right, is Harvard and these other schools, for instance, like foreign policy. Does anyone think our foreign policy the last 20, 25 years has been functional or No, effective? complete nightmare. And Absolutely. it's all fed by those. It's brain, all fed it's by all those. It's all the same brainiac will, yeah. institute. And they will tell you the same thing. And then when someone like Trump steps outside, does something different that goes against the grain, oh, he's crazy, blah, blah, blah. And then it works. And then it works. And they don't care. Right. We're going to go back to that. Idea. I know. It's really weird. It's a form of academic intellectual arrogance exactly uncoupled right. from results. That's exactly right. A results are the most important thing. I think one of the things we can do as we talk about elections is say, hey, here's what they said. Here's the result. Yep. Here's what they do. Here's the result. That's it. And I'm here to block that, change that. And when yep. it's time for re-election, I want you to judge me based on the results. And, and I, as your listeners have probably heard here today, if you're looking for someone who's entirely results-oriented, come to samstone.vote and help me out for this All right, race, samstone.vote, cause... you guys. Toss him a couple bucks. Help him out. Um, every city that we can keep centrist or reasonable, every city that we keep reasonable I, I can... is a metric to for people in L.A. to argue why they shouldn't be going off the edge of a cliff. Greg, I can tell you if we did the right things in four years, we'd have not control, but we'd have a major say in all of our cities and we would win a lot more elections at every level. So there's, you know, there's almost never been a time where you see there is so much failure in big cities and there is success in them as well. Yes. There's never been a time in human history where we get a chance to compare theories and outcomes as much as there is now. Huge. And the ability to hold people accountable with the outcome is what's really important. You know, I don't even need to hear Democrat theories. I just say, hey, tell me the 10 top 20 crime cities, um, commercial cities, success cities, and failure cities in America. And let me see who has more of which elected official. Mm-hmm. I don't even need to think at all. I'm just going to do the big data. Right. I'll just do the uh, the disruptor no, you, look, you're, you're Marin abs- County you're data absolutely crunch. Right. You want you want good quality of life. You move to a city that has some balance or that's in a it's in a red state, 
if you want to get hosed, you move to a blue city in a blue state. Yeah. They're going to screw you over. It's going to be pretty miserable. Yeah. No kidding. Well, listen, pleasure having you here. You too. Nice to meet you in person and uh, and get a little FaceTime yeah. uh, other than seeing you standing off to the side whispering in people's ears. See, that? well, that that's actually where I'm most comfortable. Oh, you like sitting off to the side? And... I, do, I do. I like I like being the, you know, the horse whisperer in the background, right? <laughs> well, uh, which role are you in uh, Game of Thrones? Which person are you in Game of Thrones? Oh. Are you oh, the midget? Geez. No. Uh, I, Tyrion, who I love. Uh, I no. love Tyrion, too. I don't know. I, I don't know. Probably Varys. You know, like the, I, I'm, I've got all the, the dirt on everybody you got the and dirt I'm on everybody. they're pulling the strings. Now, which one's Ferris? Is he the one with the shaved head? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The, I liked him as well. Yeah. Um, I, and I, he was funny. Um, he, I mean, I'd say I'm Missandei of Narth, but she's way too hot for me to. Make oh my god look at you okay you just nerded out on me you went off the deep end yeah no look if you're going to talk star wars game of thrones or anything that involves science fiction and fantasy you are totally in my wheelhouse well next time i'll make sure i bring along my son because he always knows he's like oh, they have the wrong cape on him that's the wrong cape on that character See, that's, he should never be wearing that this cape. is a kid after my own heart <laughs> and then my cousin who works out he's like oh no it, on that planet they're allowed to wear that they were given an exemption by the <laughs> and i'm like oh my god you too i don't know what you're talking about somebody hand me a beer well, listen, great having you here, and I hope some folks can reach out. And, and you know, the like I've said this before, I say it many times, when you've got folks like uh, getting on podcasts and uh, laying it all out there, it gives room for everybody to lay it out there a little yeah. bit more. And when we all lay it out a little bit more, a little bit goes a long way. It's more than a butterfly effect. It's a sea change. And when we have, if we can affect the city council with one person, if we can affect, listen, the entire national discourse would be different. If everybody who watched this thing over the next month donated $1,000 to, let's say, one of the Arizona Republican Senate candidates, yep. and he wins. Yep. That one election it's gonna change everything. changes the whole yeah. dynamic of the country. There's never been a time when we are so split, everyone laments how split we are. There's never been a time where it matters more because when we're not split and it's really solidly left or solidly right, it doesn't matter doesn't, as much. You no. can't, but here, one person, I would look around the national landscape and go to the states that are considered to be swing states or a little flippy or surprise, yep. conservative states that surprise went for Biden, supposedly. I would go to those and push money there and push that back. That's what we need to do. Yeah. That's what we need to do. And look, it doesn't take a lot at the local level. Uh, Boston and Phoenix are among the, the 10 biggest cities in the country are the only two that are sort of still balanced. How is Boston balanced? It's the belly of the beast I, up there. I know, but remember, this is also a state that's elected a Republican. Even though he's not my type of Republican, they have a Republican governor, right? Um, there are parts of Boston that are pretty conservative. You go talk to the old Irish community. Yeah, well, I was you go say talk the Irish to the Italians there yeah. too. You know, they look, they're pretty conservative types. So Boston actually has on their council, they have like two Republicans and one Republican leaning independent. They're outvoted just like we are here in Phoenix, but their weight, they balance it enough to keep it livable. Well, I still want to be in charge. So F all that. Oh no, that. look, look, I am all for changing this thing. If they... <laughs> You put me in there. I'm going to get some other people in there with me in Phoenix. We're going to turn this thing in well, a way. I think that that's part of your seen. platform as a candidate to say, not, I'm not just, you have to elect me. Because yeah. without Sal, 
Um, oh no, you're done. Look, if you if you don't elect me for this seat, you're going down the same road that LA and San Francisco. Have but been down. think of me like an island campaign. I'm Tarawar. I'm Tinian on right. the way to Tokyo, and here's what it looks like. Yep, it looks like I know enough people that I'm pull in and push. I want to, during my first term. I want us to maybe get even. And our in our second term, I want us to capture the majority. And part of electing me is so I know so many people in network so much. I want to be grooming the next person to take my place. Everyone will tell you, you know, oh, I'm only running for this office. But I'll tell you right now, folks, if if you help me get in this office, at some point I'm going to run for mayor. I'm going to try to build that majority on that council. I'm going to try to build a Republican majority on this council and show people what can be done in a major city because. There really hasn't been anyone who's done that in a long time. Giuliani was kind of the last one. Um, but the fact of the matter is Republican conservative administration of major cities freaking works and it works like a charm. And quickly. And quickly. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't New York take, City turned around take a in generation. Like a year. Right. right? That's it, what Trump showed everybody right. too. Limit the constrain the government and free up enterprise with the rules. And this thing just takes off like a I was no. going to say like Bruce Jenner. I guess it would be like Bruce Jenner. Like Bruce Jenner. Yeah, yeah no, not, no, no, not no, Caitlyn like Jenner. But I, I think I like Heel, Caitlyn too. It's hard to take off in heels. <laughs> I mean, it is. They're like, always on their toes though. Right? Uh, I think some sort of trans <laughs> ad for a California governor there. <laughs> Seriously. All right, well, listen. Great having you in. Guys, that's the Greg Medford Show this week. Happy New Year. Be safe. Remember, it's amateur weekend out there. I'm out.